Welcome everyone to Comics from the Multiverse. I am Peter and joining me as always is Matt. Ding dong. Yes, Connor is not here this week. Uh, he was he was going to be here. We moved the entire show's recording so that he could be here. Mm-hmm. And then he couldn't be here anyway. So mm-hmm. send your hate mail at Connor Ryan 94 on Twitter. CR21 strikes again. I approve. I approve of hate mail. Go, go send them hate mail. This is a DC Comics podcast. We talk about DC Comics every week. It is a week five. It is a weird week five. We had a lot of pages to read, but not necessarily a lot of books to read. So it works out, I guess. But it's weird. You know, when I tell you coming up on today's show, we have three books. We have Green Arrow, the 80th Anniversary Spectacular. We have the Catwoman Annual 2021. And uh, we have the Infinite Frontier Secret Files issue one, which is actually a reprint of a six-part digital series, uh, which you know, six parts of about know, twelve pages or something like that each. Uh, so, but it seemed like it was relevant enough to what was going on with the obviously the big new event book that we mm-hmm. thought we'd take a look. And besides, it was a quiet week, so why not? Why not have a look? And and, and I am glad that I read it because there's some gold in the those their digital first sometimes so um i just wish the format was better that's all hey, at least this was in full pages yeah, yeah yeah that's not what i mean i just like because the shorter story oh right thing, sure. you know what i mean you know i just i, I would have taken full issues and i would i would have paid you know what i mean what's weird about so, it is that it kind of feels like it was maybe designed as an anthology first and then split into a digital series yeah yeah, that you know, but that said, I did like what I I read, and we'll get there when we talk about it. But it's multiversal shenanigans, so of course I love it. Yeah, yeah, I wouldn't say it's essential, but we'll get into uh what it is later. I'm not I'm not mad at Reddit either, for the, for the record. Mm-hmm. Uh, uh, I I do think the the two stories by one of the writers because it's there's a couple of pairs. Um, one of them is a little bit wordier than the other writers, yes. and that those stuck yep. out to me a little bit. Uh, but we do have, obviously, the Comixology Top 10 to start the show off, as we do. Everyone's favourite segment, of course. Everyone loves it. Okay. Let's see. I'm, I'm, I'm pulling up to see what books came out this week, so I don't look like a total idiot. Because Connor's not here to look like an idiot, there so... Only, well, there's only three books. I mean, <laughs> you don't have a big list. No, but, you know, I want to guess what else came out this week. Okay. Well, well, okay, well, what do you think number one is, then? Hmm. What came out? Oh, this week kind of was bleak. That's a week five. I mean, yeah. Hmm. I'll, I'll just say this: uh, it being yeah. a week five and DC not like filling a week five with a yeah. full week of books means that Marvel does have the advantage here on this top ten. Yeah, as the number one on Marvel. It is yes. Okay, I'm gonna guess. X-Factor. As X-Factor. X-Factor issue 10 is number one. Uh, number two is Eternals issue five. I guess they're pushing that really hard because the movie's coming. Uh, mm-hmm. Star Wars The High Republic issue six is number three. Daredevil 31 is number four. Uh, Cable issue 11 is number five. Star Wars Doctor Aphra uh, is, num- uh, is number six. That's issue 11. And then we go to Image for Monstrous, issue 35. And number seven. Number eight is Black Widow, issues eight. 
I'm not mad though. It's a Kelly Thompson book. I'm always in support of Kelly Thompson. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get caught up on that. Like I have Sabrina sitting and waiting mm. when I have time to read. Uh, so yeah, yeah, Kelly Thompson a lot. Number nine is actually our first DC book, and it's kind of a surprising one because, well, it's just surprising. I mean, we only have three to choose from. So is it Green Arrow 80th anniversary? It is not. Ah, oh, damn. Okay. I had three choices and I still chose wrong. Ah, <laughs> uh, is it the Catwoman annual? It is not. Ah, <laughs> oh, it's Infinite Frontier? Well, technically, only part of it. Yeah. Oh. It's a digital is it the first. Yeah, it's, right. it's, it's, it's the final part. It's the final issue yeah. six of that digitally came out this week. Damn. So that, that's, that's the only thing DC has in the top 10 because number 10 is the Department of Truth. That's the Titan book. It's got Bigfoot on the cover mm. this time. I almost bought it just because of that, but I haven't read one through nine, so that would have been a mistake. Yeah, I'm not surprised. Uh, Teen Titans Academy is at number 15, and 16, 17, 18. That might be too high. Uh, Catwoman's at number 21. Yeah, that's too low. Green Arrow's not even on the first page. <laughs> it's a bummer. That said, it is a $10 book. Um, so, I don't know. Yes, at the time of recording, it's at number 30 on their charts. No, no respect for, for, uh, no respect for Ollie. It, I mean, it could be a case of these, uh, 100 page specials of, of like, they've, they've went to this well too many times now that they can't make one feel special anymore. Yeah. Uh, I mean, sure, maybe Batman and Superman could still pull it off, but maybe they've went too far now and, like, this is, this has been heartened by just, oh, you've done this like 10 times in the last year and a half. So, uh, or, or maybe it's just a case of these digitally don't do as well as they do physically because they don't have all the yeah. fun covers and whatever else. Right. No, that could be that too. Or if people want something like that, they're all pick up it physically. You know, if you still have room, which I do not. So I have to be more choosy. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And I just have a spare 100 pages taking up space in that, you know, 30th short box. So. Yes, so not uh not a week where DC set the the comicsology charts on fire at the time of recording. Uh, we're recording this on the Friday evening as opposed to the usual Saturday afternoon. Just in, uh, and mm -hmm. that's the UK times. I suppose it's well, it's still it's still afternoon for you. It's yeah, just it's after yeah, it's after twelve, therefore afternoon. Yeah, but it's not only morning for you on a Saturday when we record. No, that says. Oh no, I got all my chores done. Wait, what'd you say? I said it's normally morning on a Saturday when we record. No, yeah, yeah, I thought you meant it's not like it's morning. That's why I agreed. But, <laughs> you know, I got, I got all my chores done before. It was great. Yeah. You have to rush, about listen that? to music, finish I, my comics. I was looking forward to you trying to argue why 10 a.m. on a Saturday was not morning. No, 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 no. <laughs> I thought, I, you know, well, it wasn't as clear <laughs> that I was agreeing to. So, yes. Or disagreeing with. Hmm. Is that you? your hearing being weird or me mumbling my words? Uh, probably both, because since I've gotten earpods, I keep getting um, I keep getting alerts that I listen to stuff too loud. Uh, mm. And to that, I say, Apple, mind your business. Uh, and to which my wife will then respond, you remember watching uh, The Sound of Silence? Wait, that was that one, right? There's a med. Shoot, I really like that movie last year. Sound of Metal, I think you're thinking of. Sound of Metal, there you go. Yeah, she she likes to use that as a to keep me in line. 
Uh, do you want that to be you? And I say no. So I turn turn down my volume. So huh. could be my hearing. Could could be you know your still slight accent that after almost ten years still not used to. Slight accent. I have a slight yeah. accent. No, I mean yours is not. I follow this girl on TikTok who has a very uh way 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 thicker Scottish accent than yours. So. Should, should, I say so. should I turn the Scottish up a notch for the podcast? Do you think people I mean, if, if you want, Connor's not here, so. <laughs> Today we're going to talk about comic books, everyone. Welcome to the show. I'm here to be Matt. I can go, I, I can go super Scottish if you want. It still just sounded like you, Pete. That, that was different. <laughs> that was objectively different. Just your American ears not being able to pick it up is not my problem. <laughs> yeah, true. Uh, so not a whole lot of news this week, although there is one tidbit, uh, and that is a new design for a Batgirl outfit uh, for Babs, because obviously we just had new outfits for, for Steph and Cass, they have their, their now Batgirl variants, I mean Cass is basically just a old Batgirl outfit, Steph mm-hmm. is still a spoiler but has a bat symbol, so it's kind of a mix between her spoiler and Batgirl outfits, uh, so Babs is getting a new outfit. And I, if you've not seen this, this is Bruno Redondo. So obviously this is going to be more relevant oh. to perhaps Nightwing, uh, at least at first. And this is got the colour scheme somewhat of the Burnside suit, but it's less sort of DIY, but it has a proper cape and cowl, uh, is how I, I describe it. I do like how they've made purple and yellow Babs's, because that, that's a shout to the the old uh, 66 show. Uh, bit bit of the animated series too, so uh, I'm down for that. Why did she have purple in the animated series? She was was it black? And, it was black and yellow in the animated series, was it not? Wasn't? Did she have a purple cape? Because sort her her cape and cowl was purplish. It was more of like a blue compared to Bruce's black and gray. Yeah. Okay. I was thinking. Yeah, I was thinking of her actual outfit because because this is very yeah, different. This yeah. is. The, the yeah. suit is purple. I mean, I, I'm a fan of the black and yellow from like Batgirl Year One. Probably is my favorite, mm-hmm. but uh, this looks good. I mean, it it, yeah. it feels like it incorporates some stuff from uh you know previous versions. But I think the one big thing I did not like about the the Burnside thing, uh, was you know it didn't have the proper kill. It didn't have what felt like a proper bat cape. Mm-hmm. But I mean, these sketches here not only do they show her standing tall, but when she's got the cape all extended, it's like a proper it's a bat cape. You know, it's a proper yeah, it's a bat. It's and and her one that uh, Murphy kind of designed seemed like real low key suit, almost like it was not that it was thrown together, but just like a minimalist Batgirl costume. This definitely, like you said, well, it, it feels proper. It kind of was something together in the sense that it was meant to be like her like early days like outfit that was lying mm-hmm. around that she put back yeah. on uh, because her you know current suit got damaged or whatever. But mm-hmm. uh, that was good if you haven't seen it. Uh, Check it out. Sneak it on the uh, on the Twitters or uh, on your favorite comic book news website. I'm sure you can go find the images. Um, but the important part is that the hair is still coming out of the cowl and flowing lusciously. Yep. That's the important thing about Batgirl. Unless it's cast, in which case it's super ninja. Everything's yeah, contained. Did I get uh, Mandela affected? I guess it's kind of bluish purple. So I, I pulled up Batman animated series Batgirl. <laughs> uh, I can't tell if it's purple or blue, man. Well, either way, I like this new suit. Yes, there we go. Uh, 
plus, plus the uh, I mean the inside of the cape is yellow, but the outside and the and the kill are black. Yeah. And I think that's what it was missing. I think maybe from the uh, the burn side, so it was some more dark colors for the contrast. Yeah, uh, but I feel like that's why they were doing it, though, right? Like they wanted to to make it this bright, different, you know, a whole a whole new Batgirl kind of vibe. I didn't want a whole new Batgirl, though, so I prefer Yeah, this. I know, but, I mean, <laughs> they, they take some chances. She's moving to Burnside, which is the first time I ever remember hearing about Burnside uh, was when she went there, so. Yeah, but this is better, so I like this more. Gotcha. <laughs> All right, uh, that's basically it. That, that was just the news. There wasn't a whole lot of things to, uh, to, uh, to talk about. Um... It makes sense though. Week fives tend to be quiet, you know, in terms of books, mm-hmm. in terms of news. You know, it is what it is. Um, we're at the middle of summer. We're just getting into July. Mm-hmm. Hopefully, everyone's having a nice, bright, sweaty time. I don't know what I'm trying to say at this point. It's 108 degrees here right now. Uh, so let me convert that into to your scale. It was pretty hot here this week. It's definitely been the hottest this week that it has been all year. This is this was definitely the first time I'd felt like discomfort. All right, you, you ready for what that is in your scale? Oh, go on. That was forty-two degrees. Forties. <laughs> I can't even imagine the heat in the forties. Yeah, it was nice earlier this week. Um, we got some rain, thunderstorms, and it was it was in the eighties. So. I love that being yours, the the high twenties. Um, so that was that was kind of nice, but it didn't last long. You know, we're we're back to those balls ripping hot. Like sometimes I wonder why we, why my family stayed here. Like you, you can move. There are other places to live. I mean, stupidity maybe. Could be. I always laugh that my my the rest of my dad's family kept going to San Diego. There's much more. I think it gets, I think it's warm there, but much more mild than than here. It's not a uh, desert. No, you know, but it does get the high 80s there occasionally. But you know, yeah, I just I wonder things. Hmm. Yes, there was a lot of disappointment. That you didn't try those. Uh... Was it chicken wings last week? What, what, what... Yeah, I, I've heard. Uh... So I might have to make a trip back out. You know? Chicken strips. World's, world's best chicken strips. Yes. <laughs> never, I'll never know. I'll never know if that's just a, a false statement. I don't know. I've, I've got this sneaking suspicion in like, I don't know, some random time in like seven months, you're going to come on to an episode and be like, oh, by the way, I tried those chicken strips this week. They made me sick. <laughs> they made me sick. I was out of commission for three days. I was at the hospital, I was uh, throwing up everywhere, it was disgusting. Not even sure they were chicken. Oh man. <laughs> oh man, if Ernie's too ever hears this, I'm in trouble. <laughs> oh, I'm sure I'm sure the big fan. Big fan of the show. Yeah. yeah. Which actually is very concerning because if you go back and and now he's heard this. Yeah. You know, it it's gonna be like Texas Chainsaw Massacre, is what I'm saying. <laughs> Yeah, I hope not. <laughs> uh, that's why I stay out of Texas. Mm. Yes. Uh, <laughs> I I mean, I would have made that joke anyway, but I, I happen to have just watched that again. 
uh the original yeah the original i watched it like two days ago who's who's the character in the wheelchair franklin uh, i couldn't wait for him to get it <laughs> oh yeah he's annoying as hell he's, he's oh a, my god he's such an he, annoying you character root for him, you know he, he's he's got big underdog vibes but he's literally the worst yep yep it's kind of uh, like uh what's his name in friday the 13th part shelly three. shelly you're thinking of shelly yeah tim loves shelly I, I don't hate Shelly. I, I, yeah, I, but I couldn't wait for him to go. I wanted Jason to get him big time. I, I don't hate yeah. Shelly. Shelly, I think, gets a bad rap. Um, mm-hmm. There's a bit more of a a charm to Shelly, I think, than frankly. Is it, is it the ping pong paddle? With the 3D effect? <laughs> that wouldn't dear some fear. No, Cause, no. Because he kind of is the 3D, the character excuse right like a lot of those shenanigans he gets into uh is the reason why there's 3d hmm. uh, I've, yeah. got, I've got the old red and blue 3d version on the blu-ray I, every time i've tried to watch it for more than five minutes though i just go like now nah, i'll watch the regular version <laughs> yeah the old red and blue makes me really sick uh so makes me wonder how uh who was it was it billy zane in back to the future Mm-hmm. Was wearing the the red and red and blue glasses around Hill Valley, or was that one yeah. of Biff's other guys? No, it was Billy Zane. I I love the idea though that someone just went, wait, Billy Zane was in Back to the Future. Yeah, because I went a long time without noticing that was Billy Zane that was in huh? Biff's posse. It took yeah. a while. One of Biff's gang members, uh, wearing wearing the old red and blue 3D glasses, which I can't imagine. Mm. God, just how <laughs> much of a psychopath? A, you're hanging out with Biff. Too, you wear those around like it's normal. Yeah, I mean, I mean yeah, he already has a room with Biff, so clearly, yeah, his his judgment is already it's, a bit impaired. Yeah. Exactly. And apparently, so is his eyesight. Yes, exactly. <laughs> Willingly, <laughs> may I add. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Green Arrow, the 80th anniversary super spectacular hundred page mm-hmm. extravaganza amazing balls thing in jig. That is what we're going to start off with today and you know i have to say for for as far as rosters for the creative teams go for these hundred page specials this is probably one of the more densely like skewed to our tastes as far as they've yep. been because i, I just glad just looking at the writers quickly the name is mariko tamaki tom taylor jeff lemire benjamin mm-hmm. percy well just stick out immediately and and not just not just Ben Percy, but Ben Percy and Otto Schmidt. Of course, yes. Yeah. So and it and looks... then Jeff Lemire and Andrea Sorrentino. It does look like, like you know rebirth Green Arrow when we get to that you know the yeah. story with Schmidt and Percy. Yeah, yeah, you know, and then and then we get you know Mike Grell, of course, doing uh yeah, doing some, a, doing some a story cl- some classic stuff, right. yeah. Right, but then you also have uh, Ram V doing a, a story and Devin Grayson. So, uh, but yeah, no, this is, might be, I, I feel this is one of the stronger ones, which, you know, weirdly, uh, this, this and Green Lantern both came out real strong, I think, because uh, it didn't feel like, like just a thrown together anthology, like some of the other ones, like the Catwoman or Joker one, I just felt like they threw those together. This, I almost feel like these, these creators had a story. Uh, in mind for Green Arrow. I don't know if I feel as strongly. Yeah? 
I mean, I don't know. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I enjoyed enough of it, but I, I don't know if I feel as I, I don't know. It's more special in some of the other ones that we've we've done yeah. or covered. Well, I'm also very, uh, you know, Green Arrow is one of my favorite characters. I do enjoy Ollie quite a bit, so uh, I'm, I'm a bit biased. Yeah, I mean, the, the first story then is Tamaki uh, and mm-hmm. Javier Rodriguez on the art, and this is a, a very you know classic. Uh, I mean, I've never read like a Golden Age era mm-hmm. Green Arrow story, but I'm assuming this is what it's harkening back to. Uh, yeah. And I will say this: I I never knew about the arrow signal. <laughs> okay, this is a you thinking me. So yeah, so this is what I love is how much it is kind of making fun of how close Green Arrow and Batman were, especially in the early days. Mm-hmm. Like you know, down to the, the fact that that Green Arrow had an arrow cave and an arrow car. So I just, I like that here. Also, uh, I'm revisiting, uh, well, not revisiting, I'm visiting for the first time because I realized I never read Stars and Stripe. Uh, so, re, you know, coming across the Seven Soldier stuff like we did in uh, the Stargirl Spring Break, this very much felt like that. Uh, so I appreciate Tamaki really hitting that uh, kind of golden agey vibe here. Yeah. Oh, the Batman comparison actually is more in the uh, Taylor story, which comes up uh, a bit later. Um, yeah, but but here, I mean, it is... This is almost a Batman and Robin story with, with arrows, which I think is, is what makes it, to me, funny. Oh, uh, sure, but, but in terms of direct, the writing is actually pointing it out right. and, and making a joke right. about it. That, that's in the Taylor story. Here, here yeah, it, is, it does feel like an old-school Batman and Robin story. I'm not going to argue mm-hmm. with that. It does. Absolutely does. Uh, there's a, a bank robber, uh, a bandit who keeps disappearing. Yeah. Uh, somehow he's found a way to turn himself invisible. Um, I would go too far to say that Roy feels like very Jason Todd in some of these moments where he gets really upset yeah. and angry because the bandit keeps mm-hmm. getting away. So uh, they go out. Uh, the fact, that, I mean, one of the comparisons between Batman and Robin in terms of old school stuff is that he, ref- you know, the narration refers to Roy as Oliver's ward. I'm like, yeah. come on now, <laughs> come on. Well, and that's and that's what I mean. That's why it's so funny that you had these characters operating at the same time. This is, you know, probably mid forties. This is harkening back to, and that's prime Batman and Robin era. That I mean, just think about what the book stands looked like at that time, where Batman and Robin, and then Green Arrow and Speedy, and you know, one's definitely ripping off the other. I'm, you know, I'm sure. So, of, yeah, uh, but yeah. I'm, I'm going to go out on a limb here and say that Green Arrow was ripping off Batman. Just, oh, that, yeah, just a long shot, but yeah, <laughs> I've got a good feeling. Um, um, I think that what ahead. we have to talk about next because there's a page where Oliver's showing him all of his trick arrows, and mm-hmm. is it just me or do one or two of these look like weird sex toys? Like, I, yeah, it's a bit like the uh, the mass hysteria arrow. That looks like some sort of massager, shall we say? Yes, and the black light arrow, not a, you know, the electric arrow. The, you know. Oh yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't shove that up anywhere. No. Uh, I mean, the smoke. The smoke arrow looks like it's it's maybe tickles. Yeah, got a bit of a tickler vibe. Uh, I'm just saying, there's a surprising amount of these that look like they could be used sexually. I mean, it's also the phallic nature of an arrow. 
you know. The validation of an arrow. Yeah. An arrow. Something that's usually shaped like this, like with sharp edges. But it's a, also a, a rod that, you know. Yeah, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> the one that Roy is looking his eye down also does not help. Uh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, you know. Yeah. So, but yeah, so we get to see kind of the almost the him him going out of his way to use these trick arrows to catch the the vanishing vanishing bandit, uh, and come to behind that they end up watching a bunch of um, what were they, uh, body paint. Oh, yeah. Acrylic uh, arrows. The acrylic arrow, uh, yes. Well, no, because they yeah. launch all the other ones, and then Oliver yes. just launches this one arrow, which covers them yeah. in paint. And then it's like, oh, there we go. Okay, off we go. Uh, and I also love that that Roy launches the the handcuff arrows as if that is something that is aerodynamic. <laughs> uh, There's kind yeah. of a joke ending here because I was I was wondering like because obviously these are all short stories, and I was like, wait, he's getting out of prison? Where's this going? It has to be ending soon. And it's got a bit of a joke ending where. The bandit wants to sell to some mob bosses uh, one of Oliver's arrows that he's grabbed. But mm. Oliver then says that he took uh, some influence from, from the bandit oh. and presumably has installed the invisibility tech on them. So when these mob bosses who like paid his bail and got him out of jail look at the, the box and there's no arrow in it, they go to beat him up. And that's kind of the joke yep. ending. Uh, I mean, it's a little bit silly because, like, surely if they just turned the box upside down, they'd hear it clunk in the table because it'd still be there. Yeah, but, but they're mob bosses that are looking for instant gratification. So yeah, I suppose uh, yeah. it's a fun time, though. It's a silly story. Yeah, definitely. Yeah. I, I like I like the art style uh, in it. It definitely harkens back to that, you know, all the clean lines. Yeah, it's and very it, clean. It feels of a of an era. So I I definitely appreciate that. Yeah, a lot, of flat, an enjoyable story. a lot of flat colors, a lot of, um, you know, a, a blockiness and stuff like that. Like, it, it's, it's obviously it's still it's still very modern compared to what we'd actually get back then, but it's it's, it's that way where it kind of emulates it, but still feels quite pleasing to a modern eye. Yeah. Uh, so that is the Mariko Tamaki story. Uh, the second story is the Tom Taylor story, which I am accidentally just scrolling through because I have a thumb down too long. Uh, yeah. So it's called Punch and Evil. Uh, it's Tom Taylor, Nicholas Scott. So what a pair of that uh, is. Yeah. Um, right away. I'm saying my one criticism out of the way is that the coloring here, it does not work for Scott art for me. I like when uh, Scott's art is a little brighter. And this just, it, it added almost like this dinginess to it. Um, that I don't know if I particularly like, but the rest of the art is, you know, fantastic. Like, uh, no, no other complaints. Yeah, I never really had a problem. I think it was going for kind of a, again, like a vibe of like the 40s or 50s to give it a, an old school Maybe. sense. I think that's what the colouring was there for. It's one of those things, though, where after a page or two, you know, once you get, because the, 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 the panel on the second page of, of Dinah walking in and all, like, she looks mm -hmm. amazing. And so, uh -huh. by the time I got there, I was so used to the colouring at that point that it didn't really matter that much. Yeah. Uh, but this is about Dinah wants Oliver to train to be a better fighter, so he's training with Wildcat. Although notably, he does not know it's Wildcat. He just thinks no, it's a boxer named Ted. Ted. Yes, mm -hmm. he's just a guy named Ted, and he gets his ass whipped in the boxing ring, and he gets beat up over and over again. Uh, but he's determined to keep coming back, and he's like, "No, why, why can't I just use arrows? I can shoot them from far away." And Ted breaks a bunch of his arrows. Says, "No, nope, no, you can't shoot these. You're gonna to have to learn to fight up close." 
Here you go. Because you can't punch someone from a distance. And of course, this entire story from Tom Taylor is all about building up to maybe where the creation of the boxing glove arrow comes from. Yeah. Because that's how we end the uh, the story. Uh, we have Yellow Wasp who comes in and attacks mm-hmm. them. Uh, actually hits Wildcat in the head with a laser blast. So Oliver grabs the boxing glove and fires an arrow to win mm-hmm. the fight. Gets an uppercut, effectively. And that's kind of her joke ending. Uh, but... Of course, I did enjoy because Oliver at the start of this part, my favourite joke of the whole mm-hmm. thing, is right at the start where Oliver says, Ah, oh, come on, well, you know, I'm, I'm already a vigilante. What could I really learn from you? And then Batman like walks out the locker room saying, All right, thanks, Ted. I'll see you next week. The idea that Batman yeah. is learning things from Ted, and Batman is obviously a better fighter than Green Arrow is. <laughs> yeah, and I, and I do love that, though, because I do mm-hmm. love that Ted Grant is the, you know, like, like Batman's taking all kinds of martial arts. But, you know, you got to learn brawling from Ted Grant. And and I, I do like that. And I love that Ollie is the complete opposite of Batman in that way, where he thinks he's got everything figured out. Whereas Bruce is always looking for something new. Um, and he thinks this is all a waste of time. Yeah. Um, but, of course, Bruce, on his way out, does say, Oh, I'm sorry. Where's, where's your arrow car? Or your arrow yeah. cave? Or, you know, he just yeah. he throws some shade at him. And, mm-hmm. uh... Oliver feels the feels the, the cold stare of the like, bat. We we are spoiled with Tom Taylor right now doing a Superman book and and Nightwing. I would I would love for him to do an Ollie and Dinah, you know, black black canary and green arrow. Just he just gets these characters when he's done with one of the other runs. Sure, we're, we're, yes, we're, we're reaching critical mass here on how many runs you can have yes. going at one time. Uh, so yeah, that was yeah, the Taylor this... story. Uh, the next story really, really good. is Who Watches the Watchtower? And it's mm-hmm. uh, Stephanie Phillips writing with Chris Mooneyham on the art. And what's so funny, the last story being a Wildcat story, is that this story reminded me a lot of an early issue of GSA where Wildcat is left on his own at the GSA headquarters and has mm-hmm. to like fight off some villains on his all by himself. And he's injured as well in that particular issue. So Green Arrow mm-hmm. is pissed. He's pissed that he's been left behind uh, whilst the rest of the Mon- team are going off to... Duty. Yeah, they're all going off to fight some sort of space battle, and he's like, oh shit, I get to stay here on my own. Well, I hope I'm just going to watch TV. But of mm-hmm. course, uh, some aliens show up, and we get... Honestly, I thought the art here was pretty good, like the action of him jumping around. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Firing the arrows. Uh, there's nice colouring as well. I think, I think the green really pops against the explosions and the blue backgrounds and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and he, you know, he, he wins this fight. I mean, it's pretty straightforward, uh, but he does get to use like a sort of... Uh, like he picks up an arrow or a bow that's mm-hmm. uh, like an alien bow, and he's like, "Oh, I can't remember if this is the the, the bow that does this from this planet or the bow that does this from this dimension." But right. we'll We're find about out. To find out. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. So it creates kind like, of energy arrow that it it bows at the yeah, uh, very, the bad yeah, If anyone's been watching Bad Batch, it's very similar to Omega's energy bow, which I thought was pretty funny because this was written I don't know how long ago before it was put in production. So just the idea of this coming out around that same time is pretty funny to me. Don't bring up Star Wars, Matt. Stop, stop it. Yes, I'm going to bring up Star Wars because it's, it's actually relevant for once. And I'm not doing it just to uh, annoy you. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I did like uh, Ollie's whole thing of, hey, uh, we're about to find out what this one does. Um, and, and he says even, cool. Um, but yeah, Stephanie Phillips. I love her voice for Ollie here. And then the rivalry with Hawkman. Because that's one of my favorite things that 
Hawkman and Green Arrow do not like each other. Uh, so to see them, you know, hitting back at each other here. And then at the end, um, Hawkman sees one of his helmets that was on display is, you know, got damaged and says it was an antique. And he's like, no, oh, no, that was old. Honestly, because uh, the whole thing at the end is he's pretending that nothing was happening mm-hmm. and he's just kind of yeah. being smug about everything. But my favorite part of that whole page is the panel right at the top where he's putting mm-hmm. like he's put like duct tape over all the, the yeah. damaged glass and all the cases yeah. and stuff. He's like trying to hide it. Ah, nothing happened. Mm-hmm. It's fine. I don't under control. Yeah. <laughs> so pretty, pretty hilarious. Yeah, that's it's a funny story. I mean, it's funny because mm-hmm. obviously those first two stories had like knockout creative teams, and I yeah. got to this third one expecting it to be a dip, and I ended up maybe even liking it more in some ways uh, mm-hmm. than some of the, the the first couple. So. Yeah. Uh, it's on top form so far as an anthology goes it's good stuff yeah uh, we got the make real story up next um, which I mean I didn't love this story I think it obviously makes sense to have a real story in here yeah and he's got a really good voice for Oliver but uh, as far as just these stories on their own go which is him and you know Shadow mm-hmm. taking on some uh, smugglers some uh, sex traffickers yeah. at the docks there's not really much to it no it does feel like it's from the Longbow Hunters because this is a a different Ollie. Mm-hmm. This is an Ollie that has zero issue with killing people, um, especially uh, you know as we find out human traffickers. Um, so and and so so help me out here at, at the beginning. That's is that Connor Hawks? No, that's Dinah then, right? I'm pretty sure that's Dinah because Dinah. Up until whenever they changed it, uh, naturally had dark With hair, and then it was a blonde wig okay. she put on when she was. Because I almost had to pull out of that one, just because I didn't see the wig until right now. Yeah, because uh, uh, on the page, because the blonde wig for yeah. Dinah was basically the mm-hmm. equivalent to Clark Kent's glasses, or or vice versa, right. really. But you know what right, I mean. Right, right. That's the effect, because because that's that's why when I learned about Black Canary, that was one of the key details that I first ever learned about mm-hmm. her was that she's. Not really blonde. That's just like the the right. costume. Um, but at some point they decided to change that because they just wanted it to be blonde, I guess. Uh, but, <laughs> but yeah, uh, you know, that's what it is. Which admittedly, it's not it's not a recent change. I mean, she, she no. <laughs> like she. I'm pretty sure she was just blonde and like birds of prey in the nineties. So it's been it's been a while. Uh, yeah. but yeah. So yeah. Ah, there you go. Uh, yeah, not much to say really. Uh, it's a fight scene. It's make real art, so it, it looks like old school Green Arrow from like the late eighties, early nineties, mm-hmm. which is nice. But it, it, there's not really much to the story. It, it just kind of whatever. Um, after that, we have the Ram V story, which is kind of a so it, it's got the old is it a poem or a song? Which is the I shot an arrow up into the air. It it fell to it's earth. A poem. I know not where. Yeah. Uh, which I've heard before. I've, I've heard it brought before. It was in a Twilight Zone episode, actually. Uh, that I, hey, that, shout out. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's the title, right? Yeah, yeah. It's one of the early episodes, too. Yeah, it's a season Isn't one it? episode. Yeah, season one. Yeah. Um, With one of the more predictable endings. Uh, <laughs> yeah, but not for 1960. You know, that blew people's minds. Oh, I'm, I'm sure it did, but it's a very predictable ending if you're watching it with a modern eye. Uh, so yeah, Episode 15. This is a very... This is kind of just like a, going through Oliver's life as more of this poem mm-hmm. is told every couple of pages. Uh, and it's kind of showing different parts. And the, the whole kind of thing is the idea that 
you know, life isn't just one continuous straight line. Much like an arrow, you know, there's there's a lot of mm-hmm. like things that affect the the direction it's firing, uh, momentum, gravity, so on, so on. Um, and the idea that his relationship with with Dinah, his relationship mm-hmm. with children, his relationship with whoever, has you know altered where he's went, and it's it's kind of just like a tone story. There's not really a story to it. It's more this poem plays out as we get sort of like little slices of life kind of sprinkled mm-hmm. throughout as it's going um and uh the art here is by christopher mitten so yeah. uh i have to admit so, i thought i thought this was just okay i, I wasn't in love so, with this so i like it for him being able to balance the poem with ollie's life mm-hmm. him being able ram v able to put the longfellow poem and how that works with with ollie on who his character is um, cause you know, I hadn't looked at this poem since high school, probably, mm. but just the whole idea that, you know, they shot an arrow into the air, didn't know where it went. Um, and then with, you know, I breathed the song into the air, it fell to earth. I knew not where, um, and then, so basically, you know, you end up coming across these things that you put out into the world and right. So he was just this guy at the beginning who was just launching arrows indiscriminately, right. Mm. Off of the yacht. He gets, you know, shipwrecked, has to become this hero. And then as he goes, you know, he comes across Dinah um, and, you know, ends up falling in love. And, you know, through here, it shows that by the end, who he is is someone that actually has a purpose, right? And it's he's looking at these kids as they overlook Star City or Seattle. Uh, and I just, I liked how that, you know, how Ram V played with that poem. I, I yeah. mean, obviously, I've been loving what Ram V's been doing, and you know, mm-hmm. and pretty much everything I've been reading from. Yeah. I think this just kind of falls slightly, as eloquently as it's done, it falls mm-hmm. a little bit into that trap that a lot of these anthologies do, where some stories feel more like they're just recapping, like the the history of the character, yeah. as opposed to just telling a story. And I, 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 I you know, I, I think that just made it feel a little bit more okay to me than than great or whatever. Okay. So, you know, I, I mean, it's not. I don't feel strongly about it. No, yeah, I yeah. I liked it, and, and then this artist, you know, we end up seeing an Infinite Frontier, in in those special. I think he does two of the issues. Okay. So, yeah, seems seems like they're getting some some good work. That's nice. Uh, uh, yeah, it was, it was fine. There's a couple of pages called Lessons in Friendship with Oliver Queen. Yeah. I did not I did not read this after him. I just I went skipped to, it too. Yeah. yeah. So, on to the next one, which is basically. Now, we don't actually get much of the story here, but you can kind of get from the implications that effectively we have a, a Connor Hawk and a Die Hard scenario where he's in a building yeah. with terrorists and there's like the one cop on the outside who's arguing that there's a Green Arrow inside and he's he's there to save everyone and everyone's like, isn't Green Arrow dead? What's, you know, like, mm-hmm. what's going on? Yeah, it, this is definitely in the Ollie died and now Connor Hawk has taken over. Um, while, uh, is this the one where he's talking about his not knowing his dad, but still trying to live up to, you know, trying to live up to the memory. Is that the story? Uh, I presume because it wasn't any more yeah. Connor Hawk stories, was it? No. <laughs> um, yeah, that's at the beginning where he says, "My name's Connor Hawk, and my father was Oliver Queen." Um, desperate to connect. Yeah, I, I didn't know if that was bleeding over with the Robin stuff from last week. I, I think um, for me, this this is one that's kind of. Uh... Like this has got less of a story, although it's got I mean it's got a diehard setup, but it's more yeah. about the style of the fighting because it's it's kind of there to showcase the art. 
And mm-hmm. it's called one because the idea is that it's counting down the number of henchmen that he's taken out. So you kind of get right. these different numbers that get mentioned and then you have him like talking over the walkie-talkie to him or whatever and saying, are there any left? How many hostiles left? And he says, yeah. And there's like just one guy in front of him and he says one. And that's mm-hmm. like the... I mean, it doesn't even say it. We just get the title one. So it kind of ends the story right. with the title, which is kind of neat. Uh, mm-hmm. And they are so right. Uh, uh, it's, it's not... You know, sometimes the the muscles on the the bad guys are a little bit over the top, <laughs> but yeah, it it definitely feels like comics of that era of like the late nineties, which I think that's a pretty good job. Sure, yeah, yeah. Uh, uh, Making you feel like it's of that era. What so. what, I, what I will say about it though is that it always seems to have a nice bit of energy and motion. Uh, mm-hmm. Like I don't necessarily always think that the faces are great or whatever, but I always feel a sense of movement. So I think that's that yeah. counts for something. Uh, so that's kind of neat. Uh, that's all right. Yeah, it's an all right story. Uh, yeah. So that's cool. Uh, who was the art on that? That was uh Jorge Corona with Corona. a Brandon Thomas rating uh, on that one. So mm-hmm. uh, that's cool. So this next one actually kind of falls into the trap that I was mentioning earlier about just kind of recapping a character's history. However, I think this one's done so well that I'm giving it a pass. Yeah, and so there's some that, that are exceptions to that rule because of what Devin Grayson does here with basically not just the Legend of Green Arrow, but for Speedy and and Roy, and especially as we're getting to Roy uh, in Infinite Frontier. It, it feels more relevant, but I mean, I would say it's more about yeah. Roy than it is about Green Arrow. I mean, no, it is, but I mean, what I mean is about the Legend of, of Green Arrow and how almost that Roy's been in a struggle to define himself his whole career, right? And that what what that means with you know following in the steps of Green Arrow, uh, as as we're having Leon also in the story, you know, a young version of her. Um, yeah, so this one's called Green Man and Autumn Sun by Devin yeah. Grayson, art and colors by Matt. And, and obviously, uh, this is Kimara. not in current continuity. No, uh, and you know, <laughs> in the strict right. sense. Uh, so this is you know Oliver's babysitting. Uh, well, Roy is out doing, you know, arrowy things, you know, being a vigilante. And basically, over the phone, his daughter wants to hear the story uh, of the of the, the green man in Autumn Sun. <laughs> and mm-hmm. it's basically just Roy's story. It's how, where he came from, uh, about about the, uh, the Navajo people that he grew, he grew up yeah. with, and then being kind of taken in by Oliver and... You know, the kid's got this excitement because she keeps kind of, like, jumping in to finish sentences or, you know, finish, like, mm-hmm. or say the next part or whatever. And he talks about not fitting in and he talks about Oliver leaving with Hal and how he fell in hard times and he felt lonely and he turned to drugs and there's all this mm-hmm. honest... And Oliver's like, you told her that? <laughs> you told well, her yeah, that? Yeah, it's... He it's, it trust. Uh, she knows I'm not a perfect person and, you know, uh, it's going to make it a lot easier to parent and... Yeah, oh, you know, I understand. Like, yeah, I understand. Yeah, I'm, yeah, yeah. I'm saying, I'm saying but no, Oliver know, but... has a natural reaction because she is pretty young. It's a pretty weird thing to tell someone who's that young. Right, but in in the context of, you know, in the context of how Roy grew up, right? So there's that trust there that wasn't there with Ollie and, and Roy almost. Where she says, I realized early on that I'll never be as smart as her, so the least I can do is be honest. So just that there's this open relationship between those two. Um, and then as she's, as, as she's recounting the story to him and, 
whatnot over the phone. She's, you know, drawing, and it ends up being a picture of of Ollie and her and Roy and as a family. And yeah, it's, but I mean, it's I mean really but, heartwarming. But yeah, to not skip ahead to that though, we we have like you know when they come back and they find Roy this mm-hmm. way, and it shows that the Titans were there for him. It shows you that Dinah was there for him. Oliver obviously was there for him. Uh, you know, it's kind of this sweet kind of just it really is a summary of like roy harper's like typical backstory of all the various mm-hmm. things that the character that are, that are important to him that are perhaps going to be relevant forever uh his history with drugs all that kind of stuff mm-hmm. um and he, he gets home in the hog and it's kind of a sweet ending but there's this little statement at the end uh which i, I thought was kind of a really nice sentiment for them to throw in here uh which is to say that this story is somewhat inspired because uh the Havel people have this thing where they they really see the importance of telling stories like this and sort of recounting mm-hmm. their past, and that this yeah. is kind of an attempt to kind of that have that part of Roy's history be included in the story. And they even say we encourage you to seek out voices of the Havel people and understand how they tell stories. And it's just it was a really nice sentiment. It was like you know yeah. we need a variety of voices, we need authentic voices. We have to challenge our understanding of how stories are and what the, how important they are. I mean, it was it was hard to like find fault in this. It was really well told. It was really sweet, mm-hmm. and it kind of it kind of grounded Roy and like what he means to the people around him. Uh, but then you add on this like extra real world context at the end of like, hey, this is us trying to like celebrate a part of his past that has maybe been just used mm-hmm. as a a plot point before. Yeah, but here we're going to use it to actually enhance uh, how he thinks and sort of relate that to where he came from. Uh, so. I thought that was neat. Uh, so, yeah, I I wasn't expecting it to come out of this thinking. Maybe I mean, oh man, I don't know. We'll we'll see what I think of the rest. But at this point, this might have been my favorite one thus far. And I don't think I was coming going into this going, oh, that Devin Grayson one. That's going to be better than the Tom Taylor yeah. and the Maruka Tamaki stories. <laughs> yeah, once I saw the 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 whole thing about you know reaching out to find authentic Navajo stories from storytellers, and I was like, man, that is. Because you forget about Roy's backstory, they always just kind of skim over that. So the fact that she's putting the spotlight, it comes on up, it, yeah, here or there. I remember mm-hmm. uh, during the rebirth run, there was like a, a, a brief, uh, yeah. like two part or whatever, where it was a you know about Roy's going mm-hmm. back to his people, uh, yeah. kind of thing. But like, yeah, it doesn't come up that often, so it was kind of a nice no. way. So uh, yeah, so I like that, and the sentiment's really nice there. So, uh, but yeah, this one was really good. I. That's why I, I so far we're we're about halfway through, and I'm just like this is a really solid uh, anniversary issue uh, or anthology, whatever we're calling these. Yeah. Uh, next up, we got Star City Star. This is Phil Hester mm-hmm. uh, with. Uh, Phil I, I assume I assume art is also Phil Hester because it just says inks, yeah. inks by Andy Park. So yeah. I assume Phil Hester's doing the art too. Uh-huh. Um, yeah. So this is. A, a weird story actually mm-hmm. where oliver's looking for a girl named star and he's fighting mm-hmm. on a map on a, on a here and there's actually there's a really good joke here actually at the start where uh, uh i, I love uh, uh, like him shouting out like the sound effect of what he's about to do with the axe i thought was actually really funny yeah. <laughs> slunk yeah, uh, just the fun the, the fun words that you get to use. Yeah. Or even Oliver saying, you know, what, what sounds it's going to make when I, you know, hit you with this boxing glove arrow. And then it makes a point yeah. of having the sound effect, like, in big, bold text. Just to, so you, uh-huh. you know, it's like this, this like the payoff to the joke. Um, 
But it gets a bit weird because Count Vertigo shows up and then Green Hal Jordan shows up and starts fighting him. And it's like, well, what the hell's going on yeah. here? Yeah. And it's teased early in the story that this girl's star is special, that she has this uh, ability to basically get in people's heads and convince them to do things. So it becomes clear by the end of the story that she's actually making all of her, or yeah, making all of her like see these people and fight these people. They're, they're not really there. They're not actually happening. Uh, and it's all about you know her being too scared to trust people. And it's it's when uh, she brings up Mia uh, when he's like, wait, if you if you dug into my head and you got that far, mm-hmm. then you should know me better by now. Um, I should have an understanding that I won't hurt you. And it, it was just kind of the ending's kind of sweet. Yeah. It was a bit of a weird journey to get there, though. Uh, it felt like we had to have a story that got a lot of these villains in it, so we we came up with a premise to sort of justify yeah. seeing them all. And it's also very much of the the Kevin Smith era, the Return of Ollie, because mm. um, uh, Hester is the one that did the art there. I tried to get into that. I got about two or three issues in, and it's very hard to read. Now I'm a Kevin Smith fan, but it's very very wordy. Um, so thankfully, this was a lot less wordy. Mm-hmm. But you almost feel like if Kevin Smith could have, he could have helped out on the story. I think that's kind of what they were going for. But um, and yeah, ultimately, I like the sentiment, but it was a kind of weird read because I was feeling lost. And I think that's the point. But that's not a fun spot to be in as you're you're going through the story. Um, you know, because all of a sudden Hal Jordan's there and Hal's, you know, beating him up and whatnot. So, um yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's like there's no real sign that anything is weird about the fight until Hal's just randomly there also fighting him. Yeah. And it's like, wait, what's, hap- what's going on? What's- yeah, because I could buy <sighs> Onomatopoeia and Count Vertigo trying to get their hands on this girl, right? Yeah. That's very much... But then for Hal just to show up and then start with him... Well, know, which, which is fine. It, if you've already set up the idea that this is in his head, then we know, uh-huh. you know anything's fair game. Like Anyone can show up right. and can be acting out of character and whatever. But... Because it presents it as fairly straightforward up until that point, it's just kind of like, wait, what's going on? Mm-hmm. I, I thought I missed the page. I was like, what's, what's happening? Yeah. Am, I, am I missing panels here? What's, what's going on? Uh, but this, this, I mean, they are solid, I, I would say. Yeah. Uh, yeah, yeah. I mean, that's primarily an artist, so... Um, yeah. And it, again, it, it feels like that late 90s, those clean, solid lines... Yeah, it's so got it's very representative of an era. Yeah, it's got a lot of those uh, deep blacks where it'll just the shadows mm-hmm. will be really harsh and full, rather than shady yeah. or anything like that. They'll just be sort of big blocky blacks, which gives it right. a nice look. It's just not a bad look by any means. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. So cool. Uh, so the next story is one that goes back to focus on Oliver and Dinah, where they're having their anniversary, and he's got something uh, planned for her. She thinks that him being kidnapped by Deathstroke is a surprise <laughs> fake kidnapping. Turns out it's a real kidnapping. He he bought her tickets to a thing. Uh, so she shows up and defends. So the, the whole part of this is the idea that they don't necessarily always have to be honest with each other, but they they just have to understand each other. And that's the sentiment that this story sort of gets across. So we get Dinah, you know, doing her big, big stream, full page, double page mm-hmm. spread. Uh, Oliver suiting up and then being like, ah, you know, Honestly, my favorite part of this might have been Slade going, I just took a job to keep you distracted while something else was going on. Although I'm starting to regret hearing this bickering that I didn't up the uh, up the job for free. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, and I know it's kind of because of, of, of uh, Arrow, yes. the show that we get Deathstroke kind of against these two, but it, 
feel like it's a, a natural fit that, of mm-hmm. course, Slade and Ollie would be on opposite sides of things. Uh, and just, I mean, it I, felt. I think know. Slade's inclusion in this anthology is probably because of the show, and that made yeah. that made a lot of people associate Destro with Renato. However, I mean, Destro gets paid to show up in so many different books. It doesn't, it doesn't feel like a play. It doesn't feel forced. No, that. that's what I mean. But it's such a natural fit. Oh, that Matt, I you actually am like, mm. How's that grunt mill was here? So, well, as I was saying, it just, Deathstroke feels like such a natural fit as an antagonist to Ollie that I just, I like seeing this pairing even, okay. you know, without the show. Like, it's just, it's something that just makes sense. For me it's because he doesn't have superpowers like it can be yeah. more of a fight because he's, he's just he's a really great human villain but he's not like yeah. flying around or yeah. shooting fire out of his eyes or whatever yeah. uh so yeah that was vita alea uh on yeah, that story Vita-Alea. with laura braga the, on the art it's the first time i've really thoroughly enjoyed a vita ayala story um because they've been pretty okay that is not but true man that is not true Bye. uh the dead man many from like way early in Rebirth. That was great. That was Vita Ayala? I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure that was Vita Ayala. Oh shoot. Well, um, uh, let's, let's narrow it back down to anthologies. Okay, a sure. Lot of, <laughs> the, a lot of the Futures End stuff I read with their name on it, uh, I was kind of like, yeah, this is okay. It's not my type of thing. This though, I think that uh, they had the, the voices down for all the characters and I think they work really well with Laura Braga on the art. Um, and it just like I felt like the action sequences here were, were pretty pretty nice. Like the the layouts when when Dinah uses the scream and each concentric green is a different part of the fight. I, I like that a lot. I'll, um, I'll say I enjoyed it well enough. I didn't think there was anything special about it. That's the, that one in particular, but yeah. uh, it did look fine. And the characterization, like you say, was fairly on point. Yeah. A couple of funny lines or moments that I got a kick out of. Um. And then I think it's like the Ben Percy and the Otto Schmidt, which, you know, is straight up looks like the, the Rebirth run, and we even have the supporting cast popping up. It's felt like a warm hug. It was, yeah, it was hard not to feel nostalgic for this now. It's kind of weird that we've been doing this show long enough that the run that was started when we started yeah. this show is now something we feel nostalgic for whilst talking yeah. about it on the show. Mm-hmm. <laughs> uh, but hey, that, just, that shows that we've got uh, the experience and the credibility now. Yes. We are we are a tenured podcast. Uh so yeah, Malcolm Merlin snooping around and the, the whole the whole sentiment for this story, because typically these anthologies, each one each story will have a single sentiment about the character. And this the sentiment mm-hmm. here is that Oliver Queen c- can't be a loner, right? He used to think he was, but he's got a team. He's got Dino, of course, he's got uh Emiko, he's got Diggle, he's got Henry, and mm-hmm. because he's off hunting on his own he might have gotten uh, taken out. He might have struggled to fight Merlin. But of course, the others all show up and help fight. The action looks fantastic. Yeah. I, I, I miss reading the uh, the Schmidt, you know, Percy book. Just, just because, I mean, the art was so good. Uh, yeah. Yeah, I mean, the stories would, would fluctuate from time to time. I mean, I like Percy's run a whole lot. But this, this again, felt like a, a nice warm hug from a friend that you haven't seen in a while. And uh, just, this is a version of Ollie and Green Arrow that I really enjoy. So to see Emmy there and then dig, um, and they're in that tree house, like kind of base that they had, you know, the Sherwood Forest vibes. Yeah, because that was, was that was later on in the run as well. So this feels like mm-hmm. it's, you know, very connected um, to the end of right. his run. 
Right. The only way he gets more Ben Percy is if he, you know, had the Ollie Werewolf from right before. Uh, what was that? Was that right before Rebirth? Well, I never uh, read or, it, so yeah, it was before yeah, Rebirth. Yeah, it must have been. Um, but yeah, I just thought, you know, seeing Emmy again, working with Ollie, a uh, whole lot of fun. We all, we all know I have a soft spot for that character. So, hmm. uh, but, yeah. but then, so to get a, a Percy and Schmidt story back to back with the Lemire and Sorrentino, we're just spoiled at this point. Yeah, you know? well, this is a funny thing. I don't have the same adoration of the Lemire Sorrentino mm-hmm. run that you and Connor do. Uh, yeah. Obviously, the art's fantastic, and the art's fantastic in this short story. Yeah. Um, but I don't know, for a variety of reasons, I just wasn't as into it. I didn't necessarily care that much about the mythology it was adding, even though I typically love Jeff Lemire. But I think I tend to prefer Jeff Lemire's creator own stuff than I do uh, His superhero superhero. stuff, right? Yeah. Um, yeah, that's fair. So. You know, so the ending of this one's a bit weird for me. I, I, you know, if this is harkening back to things in that run, I don't know what it is. <laughs> so, well, it, it's basically him closing the loop of where his story began and where it ended, and where he, you know, so I, I would say metaphorically here, him going to the island and basically handing over this arrow uh, to his his past self. Yeah, I don't think I, the loop. I don't think I ever finished the run. I, I, I obviously I got the idea of him handing the arrow to the younger self. Yeah. The idea of the you know, uh, that that mm-hmm. element of it, right? Because obviously he goes to the island. He's an old man. He tells mm-hmm. he's the guy in the boat to go, and he's like, "You sure, Mister Queen?" He's like, "Yeah, I'm sure. Don't mm-hmm. come back." And yeah. he just goes into the the forest. Then he he sits down. He's got the the, the arrow, and then he sort of combusts into flames mm-hmm. uh, at the end of his journey. Like like a phoenix uh, like a to phoenix. rise again. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um. This idea that the the island was a place where he was reborn originally. I get, so I get the metaphor, but I was I was wondering yeah. because I never finished that 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 run in the first yeah. place. I wasn't sure if there was this was something specific that was set up or harkening yeah. back to no. or no. Okay. <laughs> not not necessarily. I mean, I, it's been a while since I read it, but I I do love that whole arc, the whole Lemire. One of my favorite runs, but it's been a while since I read it. However, I think it's more metaphorical here. Is like, like, like he said, like a phoenix. He's gonna be reborn, and this is a cycle that's gonna perpetuate. You know, the here. But I mean, him handing over that arrow, which was so integral to that story, I could see how you think, like you felt like you were missing something. Mm-hmm. But you know, I, I, I like, and again, the Sorrentino art just is fantastic. Um, so seeing the 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 high contrast panels, like where he does the whole background color. Like, you know, sometimes it'd be red, sometimes it's green. Just... Oh, yeah, that stuff looks great. Yeah, there's no, yeah. There's no denying that. I should probably go back and just read, read that run at some point. I uh, would. And finish it this time. Hey, um, patrons, make make him read that when he's done with Animal <laughs> Man. <laughs> um, yeah, there's a connection there, because Lemire also wrote some Animal Man. Uh, he did. Uh, so, uh, a couple of our pages. And then the final story of the book, uh, which I, I didn't really, I mean... <laughs> Obviously, I kind of looked down and saw the name Larry O'Neill, right? The writer. Yeah. But I never really clicked or I really paid attention to it. So I got to this final story and it's, it's completely voiceless uh, yeah. other than like one phrase at the very, very end. And mm-hmm. it's basically Danny O'Neill's story told in silent comic book form. It's, mm-hmm. And it's the whole idea of him imagining storytelling. So you see him as a little boy at the start and he's got like a sort of like cowboy hat shaped bubble yeah. above his head with like a... Yeah. Yeah, he's because well, he's listening to the radio. Yeah, he's listening to yeah, the old, the old wireless. Yeah, 
Uh, but you know, so, yeah, so, so he's, he's hearing a cowboy story, so he's thinking about cowboys. And then we see him thinking about Superman in a Superman sort of shape bubble when he's yeah. looking at a comic, and then he's like, he's off uh, in the Navy, and he's he's thinking about mm-hmm. a gun and like, like a gangster story or something. And then it keeps going. The idea is called tap, 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 because he becomes a writer and he's tapping away on a keyboard. And there's even kind of a Captain America. I mean, obviously, it's there's no one, not enough detail to, to get them sued. No. But... <laughs> but, I mean, if that's how he broke in, right? I mean, yeah. this is this is basically a, a biography by his son. Um, in, in many ways, yeah. And it, you know, it showed him different time periods, showed you him with mm. his first baby, him proposing, him writing various uh, different characters going to see movies. I, I, I particularly liked when he's an older man with his wife and, I mean, there's a sad part that his wife, I assume, died first because she right. she disappears like halfway through this page. But uh, the idea that they watched uh, like some of the early Batman movies together and then he's yeah. on his own and he's watching all the other movies that have existed now uh, in TV shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, that, that, that's what that felt like to me, uh, was all these different symbols around the TV. Um, and then he's getting kind of old and he's he's clearly getting weaker as he's tapping on his story and we see him in the bed and then the final page is the, the once again the very first thing we saw him dreaming of which was the cowboy story fades from the, 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 the cowboy hat bubble and we just mm-hmm. see the green hand on the on his hand and it just says good night pops and then the final panel is all of these characters that he worked on at some point standing around mm-hmm. his hospital bed and it says Dennis O'Neill 1939-2020 this, this mm-hmm. was a wonderful little tribute and it was one of those things where I realised like Oof. halfway through what it was I'm like wait a minute this is this is really specific this is about a writer and then I, then I looked at the name and went oh yeah. this makes sense yeah who I mean when you think of Green Arrow it's that hard travelling heroes oh yeah that Denny O'Neill Neil Adams did so to, to throw this in here on a Green Arrow I, it's a natural fit um, and to have Green Arrow be the one that's holding his hand at the end. Yeah. Uh, and then, of course, because one of the things you see him writing at one point is the question, which also was, mm-hmm. uh, you know, has one of his yes. big runs. Well, yeah. And then you have uh, Bruce and Talia there with the heartbreak um, on that, on one of the panels there, mm-hmm. you know, because he created Ra's al Ghul and Talia and, and that. So, um, yeah, just, oof, that last panel. That which, is hard. Which makes me wonder, actually, if uh, when they're walking, when he's walking out of the movies with his son, mm-hmm. if mm-hmm. Savage Clones of Kung Fu is a real movie, because I need to know what it is now. Well, <laughs> let's see. <laughs> Savage Clones of Kung Fu, because that sounds like a winner to me. Uh, let's see. Google, do not fail me now. No, I mean there's Savage Fists of Kung Fu, but that's a comic book. I I, I wonder if they just had to make up something for copyright yeah. reasons. I don't know. I mean, he's taking his son to the to the movies, and you know they leave and they're talking about what they had watched and and stuff. So yeah, just whatever the most outrageous you know Hong Kong cinema you could find, you know. But yeah, looking looking. I mean, there's one called The Savage Five from '74. But nothing that comes up. But no, yeah, this this story hit hard. I, I saw Connor talk about it, um, about how absolutely gutted it it made him, and I was like, oh no, because uh, there's two ways to read that, <laughs> right? That it, it kind of fell on its face, or but no, it's definitely very effective. And I mean, Fornes, come on, 
Uh, and he's doing the, he's definitely doing this because of the Rorschach book, right? You would think that's the... It feels like the obvious connection to me. Yeah. Uh, so... I, yeah, I, you know, it was hard not to be kind of moved by it. It was kind of a... Mm -hmm. It was a hell of a tribute, and, you know, Green Arrow is one of the characters you associate with Denny O'Neill more than, you know, yeah. many. So... Mm -hmm. uh, it's hard to fault it. It's really hard to fault it. <laughs> yeah? So, yeah. I mean, no, I mean, the standard's fairly high. There's maybe two or three that I'm not super hot on Yeah. in the book, which is probably better than average, for sure, with these anthologies. Mm-hmm. But, um, yeah. Uh, not that I had a bad time reading it by any means, because I, I think, oh. I mean, don't get me wrong, if this was on a week with, you know, we had like six or seven or eight other books, and I had to read this at the end, I might have been a bit more in a mood <laughs> having mm -hmm. to, like, plow through it. That's been on our fifth week where there was just, you know, a couple other things to read. As, as big as this was and as big as the Infinite uh, Frontier Secret Fails was, um, it, yeah. you know, it wasn't, you know, it was, it was a pleasant afternoon time of yeah. some Green Arrow. And it does help that there's not been any Green Arrow in a while, you know, on his own. That that too. I mean, the, so, most, the most I can think of lately was in, in Deceased, right? And then in, uh, right now in Justice League with Bendis. Yeah. So... Yeah, it feels nice. Yeah. So, no, not bad. Not bad. If you like Green Arrow, you probably get something out of this. Uh, what are you going to give the anthology, Matt? Well, I think I enjoyed this a little bit more than you did. I'm going to give this an 8.5. Hmm? That's the yeah, I'll just go to straight 8. I, I mean, I think, it's, I think it's good. I think some of the stories go a little bit above me. I think the uh, Nahavo story... Uh, mm -hmm. but Roy I think is really good obviously the tribute at the end is quite heartwarming and then it was kind of surprising to me that I didn't love say Ram V and Tamaki stories a bit more than I did but uh, so maybe there's a little minor disappointment there which is why I'm not as super hot on it but yeah. uh, not that they're bad Ben I mean it's just they're just a, you know I, I, I come into it and I'm, I'm, there's certain writers that I expect to be blown away by but uh, there's some quality stuff in there so yeah there you go Green Arrow 8th anniversary special. Catwoman Annual 2021. So they've re-jigged... They've re is this the first one we've gotten to with this, this new numbering system? Maybe, but I, I like that they do that because uh, it lets me know when it came out. And when So when I'm storing comics and whatnot, yeah, because it you know, fits in nicely. There's a lot of Batman annual number ones. You, you yeah. have to check which one you're actually referring to. So using the year makes more sense. It, it, mm -hmm. it definitely does. I do not dispute such a thing. Uh, so this is actually a very important issue for the main book. This is not. This is the sort of thing where this that will absolutely be in the trade with the arc. This is just the next chapter. It's the next. It's the next chapter. It's a little bit longer, and it's effectively just an excuse to like. And this is the thing, you don't have to have an excuse for this. There would be totally nothing wrong with issue 34 of Catwoman just mm -hmm. focusing on the villain's backstory. That's a normal yeah. thing to do in a story. Mm -hmm. It absolutely is. But they've taken the opportunity to make it like a, a second issue this month and an annual so that the main story can keep sort of moving next time. But there's some important stuff. Not only do we learn more about who this villain is, Father Valet, but we also get to see Catwoman's reaction to uh, Leo and what happened to him, who is not dead. Mm -hmm. He was left for dead, no. but he is in the hospital. He is holding on. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, so so there's... And I think her reaction to that is actually quite important. Is as is, is, is quick as it is, I think her, like, you know, throwing things on the ground and 
and getting frustrated is an important character beat that yeah. uh, is going to be important. So, uh, yeah, so we get into the backstory and they do kind of a swerve on us here uh, where they, they show us Jean-Paul's father mm-hmm. as Asriel working mm-hmm. for the Order of saint Damas, and it's like, okay, is he going to become this character? And then it turns out that someone he trained for the Order uh, ends up Carl. being... Uh, Carl, yeah. He ends up mm-hmm. being uh, Father Valet. He is someone... So, basically, because they've been more active and they're becoming more known in the press, the head honchos of the Order of Saint-Damas decide to like, go underground and hide, and part of that is everyone under a certain level is to be purged, so there's no evidence of their existence. So, Father Valet... I'm distracted because my mouse is so goddamn loud. Yeah, well, I think my mouse died, so now I can't move my mouse around. That's oh. wireless. So. Oh, that's, that's fine. That's fine. <laughs> that's fine. You don't need to just them anyway. You're good. No, I know, but... um, Because, yeah, I can't, I can't have that. Okay, so... Go ahead, Father- you keep clicking and making noises. It's distracting. There it goes. Got it. Look, Jesus Christ. We're good. <sighs> Stupid wireless mouse. Oh, I hate them. Uh, right. So, Father Valley, right? He's tasked with killing his proteges. Everyone he trained underneath him. So there's kind of this personal stake to all of it. And he seemingly does this. He's killed everyone but this Carl, who's who's maybe the closest to who's who. He's kind of taken in as a surrogate son. Mm-hmm. And his son already exists. Uh, the, the the book makes a point of saying that he asked for his son to be let go and live live a life somewhere else, away from all yeah. this, so he could have a normal life, right? Uh, but he, you know, Carl jumps off the balcony of the of their of their big fancy church, mm-hmm. and is presumed dead, but he doesn't die. He survives the fall and becomes kind of something closer to Father Valley, and then ultimately when. You know, valet finds him. You know, uh, father valet. Uh, no, sorry, <laughs> that's, that's just, when no, Asriel's dad, right? Yeah. When Asriel's well, dad finds him, he's like, "No, I figured you were alive. I'm going to give you here's some passports. Here's some money. They're always going to be chasing you. There's nothing I can do about that." But when he gives him the passport, he's changed his surname to Valet, so now he's Carl Valet, and mm-hmm. you know, of course, eventually, Father Valet. Um, because, and I think it's a good swerve because. When when you're thinking early on that maybe it is just Azriel's dad, right? You're thinking, oh, maybe he's re- trying to repent for all these people that he killed that he, uh-huh. he that he felt was unjust, and that's kind of part of what he's doing, and or something. Uh, so the swerve kind of worked for me in that sense because I, I, they were giving me enough reasons to sort of understand why he might have went this way. Uh, so here's my thing: I never thought that Azriel's dad was Father Valley. I thought maybe. Because of the last name, they might be related, mm-hmm. but I didn't think Father Valley was was, you know. Well, I never, Paul's... I never did before this issue. I only thought it in this yeah. issue because they showed me his father. <laughs> right. So once I saw Carl, I was like, "Oh, this is Valley." So what happened to him? Is this his actual other son? Like, is that what they're doing? Is that he sent one son away with this other one? So I mean, basically, it is kind of his son, right? Because you could tell that they're close, and he trained him and. You know, but then when it came time to to burn him, you know, and I, I like that that's kind of the motivation for Father Valley, right? Is like this guy ended up doing what he was supposed to, but it's what kind, did it cost him? 
Yeah, it's kind of that dynamic of, like, his actual son, he gave away at a young age, but this other guy who's not his real son, but he actually got to spend time with them and was trained by him, so he's actually had more of the son experience, as, as it were. Mm-hmm. So you have this kind of weird dichotomy of the of the two surrogate brothers who have not even met right. each other yet. I mean, no. will that come up? Will, will Jean-Paul appear? Man, so once we had Father Valley, and I was like, wonder if he's tied to the Order of St. Dumas. I like the Order of St. Dumas. I like them as a as an organization. They're they're you know he's he's like a cast off. He's like a he's a renegade yeah. of the Order of St. Dumas. Yeah, and so like, what does this mean for Azrael? Right? Is is he gonna have a reckoning? Like, is this just the introduction of Father Valley to the greater DCU, or is this just gonna be in Catwoman? I mean, there's so many questions this, this I, brings up. I would say this just feels like a Catwoman thing, right? This feels like something that Ram V, unless you know they see what he's doing here and go, hey, don't kill him because we can do other stuff with him later. <laughs> right, and that's, man, I kind of like that. And Azrael's kind of been missing since he went off to space and did that whole, you know, Justice League Odyssey thing. Oh, yeah, that was a um, thing. I forgot about that. Yeah, right? And so I just, I, I just, you know, I like culty type stuff. In yeah. my comics. Can, can I just say the uh, the head honcho who gives that you know gives a uh, you know Daddy Azrael this uh, order? Right. Uh, I was totally getting Anthony Hopkins vibes from this guy in the okay. art. Yeah, that's fair enough. <laughs> he looks like Anthony, right. he looks like old man Anthony Hopkins. That's what he looks like. But uh, yeah, no, it was this is a really really solid issue, uh, and then the art too. Did you talk about whose art? Because you have you have Blanco. It's, 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 do you know what? We have three very good artists. Uh-huh. I will say there's not that much justification in the art for it to switch, other than the flashback, but as it's telling right. the story of the flashback, it does suddenly switch halfway through to a mm-hmm. second artist. And I do I did even though the art's really good, it felt jarring because it was so different it did. to the, the but first batch. All, all the art by itself is is good. Yeah, because you know when, I mean? when it switches it's all the flaming sword stuff and that, that looks great. Right. The colours are great. Yeah. Yes. So Juan Faraya uh, and Kyle Hotz, uh, with Blanco doing the end caps, right? That's the modern day stuff. Uh, Which makes sense because that's the stuff that has yeah. to feel more like Catwoman, you know, the, right. the main so, book. Yeah. But yeah, man, just the stuff with the flaming sword and then him stabbing it through uh, Jean Paul's dad, you know, kind of leaving him there and whatnot. Yeah. yeah. This was this is a whole lot of good stuff here. Yeah, it was. It was just given as this really intricate backstory for a villain which you know joe i kind of like i, I do kind of like this thing because we've got a greater dc universe the idea that this, this villain comes from a different corner that's not really related to mm-hmm. catwoman all that much and it's mm-hmm. not and it's not a big deal like it's, it's not something that we have to tie into Azrael later i mean it'll be cool to maybe see them run to each other at some point but mm-hmm. I, it doesn't feel like this has been done solely just so they can have that eventually it feels like no no, no Ram V looked at the DCU and said, no, I want to, like, build someone out of that weird corner and have them become the villain in Catwoman to Catwoman rather than being connected yeah. to the actual literal connections that he has to other characters. I think that's right. I think that's cool. I like that. It feels more well, random. It feels more like a greater universe to me. Just building that tapestry of Gotham City, which I really like, right? Because, yeah, they're tied to Azrael through Batman and with Catwoman and stuff, but... What makes us work is you have Catwoman who is all about crime, right? And stealing and, and doing all this. And then you have someone that's a twisted priest that thinks that they're, you know, sending people to heaven 
through killing him and whatnot, like as part of his big mission. So just to see those two spectra ends of the spectrum at odds, just it works. Mm-hmm. But but yeah, it's uh, Ram V is doing work on Catwoman. That is more people need to be reading. I can't yell this enough. Yeah, so it's wonderful stuff. Um, it, it ultimately. We you know, we're still building this stuff. The you know Hadley's at the uh, the police station talking about the rising tension, the the protests about what the mayor's about to do in Alleytown with all the police, uh, and this tension's building. And Father Valley is walking past, and the story ends. The church that he's came out of, because you know it starts with him in this church, and he's he's sort of exercising mm-hmm. or uh, eventually he's like basically torturing himself at one point, uh, yeah. but. At the end of the story, and this is right next to all these protests, he blows up this church. So the final page of the, the book is this explosion. So, mm-hmm. which I can't imagine is going to make peace and quiet in an alley town. Uh, Not at all. So so this is essential stuff. Like I, I, I don't imagine how you could start the next issue of Catwoman having not read this. No. No. But I, like, I do like that it was oversized. I mean, it's 40 pages, so you get yes. all that backstory. But well, yeah, definitely... If you're reading Catwoman, you need to be reading this. I, I mean, I've you know, I, I've disagreed with this, especially with Carr. I don't know, but but with you, but mm-hmm. like, I prefer when the angle is just the, the next chapter of the story. Is this much? Because it feels sometimes when it's a separate story, it can be a great standalone thing, but often it'll sometimes just feel like a weird filler thing to justify having an annual. Right. I kind of well, love when it's like treated as a special chapter in the ongoing mm-hmm. story that adds to it because right. it makes it feel like it's more exciting to read. Well, especially when the writer is handling it, you know, because sometimes you'd get annuals that are just their own thing, but it's the same writer and they're just doing some side kind mm. of story that doesn't ultimately pay off. I know the Batman Superman annuals used to do that a lot um, mm. with with Loeb writing them, but they wouldn't play into what was going on. So, uh, yeah, no, I'm, I'm for this because I think because you have that thing where the fifth week can feel like filler week mm-hmm. and you don't really want that. Uh, you know that, that makes it makes it feel I don't know it's like a throwaway week in many ways and so mm-hmm. issues like this make it feel like no no we had like a proper meaty chapter of one of our stories that enhanced yeah. it uh, so uh, watch Connor not read this and uh, think he doesn't have to <laughs> I hope he does read it though it is, it is, it is, it is, was this what's going on yeah do will come in with the, wait for Catwoman 33 or 34 whatever the next issue is yes and go Said, uh, since, since when did uh, Jean Paul have a brother? Oh, <laughs> uh, well, I mean, that kind of happened in a weird way with Catwoman before, actually, because he didn't know about shoes. I, I had to explain to him <laughs> shoes was because he missed that week. <laughs> That's true, because that was the uh, the it was, one it, special. It was, yeah, it was in the anthology thing. Yeah. Yep. Yeah, that's yeah. right. Uh, right, what are you, what are you giving a Catwoman annual? 2021. Uh, I am I am giving this an 8.5. I will concur with the 8.5. I'd probably go a little higher if the art was more consistent. Uh, mm-hmm. Not so much the, the difference between the present day and the flashback stuff. I get why that's different and that can work as being different. But there is a sudden shift halfway through the backstory where it just... And there is a, like a little bit of a time jump to come in maybe... But it doesn't really feel like it should mm-hmm. change. It just feels so jarringly different that I'm just like, yeah, okay. So... 8.5 though, 8.5. So it's mm-hmm. a solid, solid issue, which is essential, I think, as far as we can tell. But I can't imagine how it wouldn't feel essential. I uh, would read more, more of the main book. So that's Catwoman Annual 2021, which takes us on to our third and final mm-hmm. book, which is 
Infinite Frontier Secret Files Issue 1. Uh, this was released digitally. The final part of the digital version came out this week as well, which was number six. This is six uh, 12-ish page stories. Uh, the, 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 and it's got a bit of a framing device as a concept to this, which is that Bones is mm-hmm. listening to tapes that Chase has compiled uh, on various notable characters in Infinite uh, Frontier. And mm-hmm. uh, he's listening to these tapes, and uh, you know that's kind of the... the I mean, as he's hearing the tapes, we're we're seeing something of some of these characters. So we get, you know, one about Roy. We get one about uh, President Superman from Earth Twenty Three. We get, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Jaden Obsidian, which was one of the more I thought interesting ones out of the batch. Yeah. So we'll work through these and we'll we'll see, mm-hmm. uh, you know, what they all think. What's so funny to me is that I kind of read the first couple and went, I don't know how important these feel. They feel just more like refreshes on who these characters are, but. By the time we got to the end, I was like, oh no, those last couple were actually felt like they may have been teasing some things that are... Yeah, four and five, especially the Bones one with Boomerang, mm-hmm. and then Psycho Pirate, definitely felt more... These are... No, I wouldn't say integral, but if you read these, you'll have a better... It's a nice tease, because you know, like, obviously we yeah. saw Psycho Pirate in issue one of Infinite Frontier, right. and where, where the Psycho Pirate story at the end of this leaves off, it feels like, oh, that's a nice little sort of like, oh, that's, that right. led into that. But so. up, up to this point, so in, in order, you have the Calvin Ellis, Superman of Earth-23, uh, then you have Roy Harper, then you have Jaden Obsidian, the Totality, Bones and Boomerang, and Psycho Pirate. Yeah. I, I would almost argue the first four are a little bit just superfluous. Like, they're fine stories. I, I'm not I, upset that I read them. Yeah, I, I would say I agree with that to an extent, although I think the one that stands out is the Jade and Obsidian one. I think mm-hmm. partly because obviously they've not been around for a long time, mm-hmm. but I think the main thing is because Jade's effectively working through this trauma of like mm-hmm. being back, and she's scared that the star the star heart might like not work one day. Right, but then it also, and we'll get there, kind of div- diverges into something with the character that shows up. And it's just, it's a little bit weird, just like... It's a little bit I weird, just but I, I think... Focus like, more on her. But I, I, I think know? learning where she is right now actually mm-hmm. feel like new stuff. Because we've seen Obsidian in a few of these stories, but Jade's been a little more absent. And I think yeah. that felt more... Because I think Roy's story in the second, the second one, mm-hmm. his just kind of feels like Roy's around, he's alive, and will he be good? Will he go down a dark path again? Because Roy can do that from time to time. He does some fighting. We're reminded he's a good person, and that's it. Like you know, that's the whole yeah, thing. No, he likes <laughs> to hang out in diners and fight truckers. That's all I learned in that issue. Yeah, there, there was nothing yeah. like important yeah. about it on its own. Um, I think I appreciated the first one as someone who's not read as much of the Superman, the President Superman stuff. Mm-hmm. I think this was a nice little taste of it. If you if you've not read much of this yep. character, this will show you who he is, how how he operates in his world as both being president and being Superman. And it's like, okay, all right. And I got to the end of this and went, oh, well, I liked having that one because I didn't necessarily had as, had as much experience with them. But are, these, yeah. are all of these going to just be like, here's who this character is? Now, it turned out they weren't because the back yeah. half of them are all different. The back half of them aren't that at all. No. Uh, but yeah, like, like you said, with, it's nice having a Calvin Ellis story that you can point to that's not multiversity. Yeah. Right? Because that's really the only place he's popped up. And in... There might have been some stuff in Morrison's action comics. There might have been an issue. With yeah, well, him. I mean, he's, he's popped. I think he's popped up for cameos a lot, but yeah, that, that's like yeah. that's the main story so that he, he comes just, from. 
just to basically have a day in a life and see how he balances being Superman of his world and the president, I thought was pretty funny. And he has a, a Kelix that, mm-hmm. that is almost like his assistant in the White House, which I thought was fun. That's managing his time through the day. And then you find out he ends up going to basically a sensory deprivation room where he, you know, with all the time that he has extra from the day to spend away from the sounds and sights and smells of of the world just to reset his head. And I really, I just, I really like that character beat there. Yeah, there. no, uh, I, I, I concur. Uh, and the art in that first one is pretty solid as well, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, Brandon Thomas, who I feel like that's a name. All of these writers that are working with Williamson, I feel these are the next, you know, quiver of writers DC is going to be I, going to. I will say, though, I did think the two Brandis, Brandon Thomas, which is Brandon this, the totality, uh, yeah. I thought those were, those were the two wordy ones where I felt like they were a bit too stacked in the word department. And Brandon Thomas also did the, the Mr. Miracle that we, we skipped issue two on. I think that I'm pretty oh, sure that's so, it. So that's a trend then, what you say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So that, that's just his style, I feel. Um, but yeah, and then Stephanie Phillips did the Roy story, right? Yeah, which I actually thought yeah. was fairly well written. It just didn't feel like yeah. it offered that much. No, it felt like one of these, uh, you know, digital first type stories, you know, that like you said earlier, if this was in an anthology, this would just be the Roy, you know, Infinite Frontier story. But for Mm -hmm. this to be, you know, issue two and whatnot in the spotlight, it was just, again, like you said, well written. But all I learned from this is Roy Harper, now that he's back and this hit before Infinite, right? Because these came out weekly originally, you know. This yeah, is before so, we realized that so, there's something more going on. Yeah, so only the last couple would have been after issue one came out, I think. Right. Uh, so, yeah, the third story is it's not surprising because it's ba- they basically kind of the, the the first three of them. This is the same teams on the next three, or at least the writers right. are anyway. But uh, yeah, uh, and I don't think it's a surprise because Josh Joshua Williamson uh, plotted plotted mm-hmm. uh, co-plotted all of the stories with the writers, and then they went off and mm-hmm. wrote the scripts. And I don't think it's a surprise that issue three, or sorry, story number three and six mm-hmm. uh, in this are the two best ones because they're both Dan Waters and Joshua right. Wilson, I think. Uh, mm-hmm. So, I mean, well, I think they're both the best, I think. Not, I mean, I know that those creators. <laughs> I hear what you're saying. Yeah. But yeah, uh, and Stephen Byrne art on the Jade and Obsidian, which mm-hmm. his Jade, just because he works with those soft lines so well that the color seem, seemingly pops on Jade so well and then the lack of color on on obsidian it just god really well done. just yeah yeah it perfect match you know, obviously walking into the shadow lands and uh, mm-hmm. you know i think you know the, the idea of the story being that she's scared that she doesn't she doesn't want to go flying because she's worried that the star heart might one day stop keeping her up in the mm-hmm. air and she may fall to her death basically and well, yeah but well that's yeah. I mean, so that's the basic gist of the idea and the point of the story is that yeah, like, the world might end tomorrow, it may end in a week, it may end in a month, a year, it may not end for another 10 million years. You don't know, so there's no point in worrying about it, there's no point in, like, you know, holding back. So, and, and it has an ending, it has an arc, because at the end of the story, she does take off and flies. So, I think this is why this is one of the better ones, is because it does have a full arc for the character, and because mm-hmm. the character has not been around much, it gives us a nice sense of where she is right now, it gives us a nice sense of uh just yeah this this does serve as a really good introduction to these two characters i think 
you do have the weird thing with the villain who's going to sing the song that's going to kill the planet, and basically yeah. Todd convinces her to go into the Shadowlands and sing in that instead. Right. And as she puts so- it, it'll take her uh, between 20 minutes and 20 million years to finish, right. you know, destroying the Shadowlands, and... That just ties into the whole theme of the story, which is, you know, it could yeah, could be today, you know, it could be, you know, ages from there. Yeah, it's Jade overcoming fear, right? You know, very Green Lantern key take on it. Um, but no, so I did look up Chroma, and Chroma goes back to the Infinity Ink days where Jade and Obsidian started. Oh, I, yeah, you know, I had no doubt she, this was a this was yeah, a pull. Yeah. I, I didn't think this was a new character. So, so yeah, so to, to see that and to see that it didn't affect Obsidian back then, so that's why he's able to figure it out, but then... Uh, I mean, hell, even when she shows up, they reference having yeah. seen her before. Uh, yeah. She's like, yeah, I knew I wasn't going to come back to Earth, but then Earth got reborn, so it's different. Yeah. Like, the frequencies are different. Well, the vibe is different. And just, and just with Jenny having that, like, I was gone, but now I'm back, and just all that uneasiness to go along with Chroma saying that with the vibrational frequencies, that's almost kind of the first hint of where we're going to go in, in 5 and 6. Right, mm-hmm. like there's that that tease a little there, but yeah, no, it was the Stephen Burton art too. So so far, this was the one where the the art I was just like, oh man, this was this the thing perfect. where because I, I was reading these digitally, so I had the six individual yeah. things right. So yeah. I, re- I read the first two, I took a break, and I was like, you know, I, you know, I, those were fine, but I wasn't necessarily in love with them, and I wasn't necessarily thinking about not reading the rest, but I, I you know, I, I was sort of thinking like. Oh, if the next one feels like this, maybe I won't necessarily feel compelled to, to read them all. I'll, you know, I can come in and yeah. just talk about the ones I read. But then I read this and went, oh, wait, you know what? If they can be like this, then I'm, 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 in, for, yeah. I'm in for the whole, well, whole batch. I was going to tell you to make sure you read at least five, because I know how much you love Director Bones, and he's kind of front and center in that one. Yeah, because um, five uh, changes things up, and it becomes uh, a Bones, like, in, in the, you know, DEO itself. And it's, uh, yeah. they've, they've, they've captured Boomerang, uh, actually, no, I was skipping over four here. That's the four. Yeah, first. yeah, I was gonna say, four, <laughs> which, which was the one where he was looking for his his whiskey and he kept yelling for Mildred. I think was I, that. I think that was four. Okay. Because so, I, I want to say that was before he had the, the whole focus where he's running around. Yeah, yeah, okay. I love that little that background spot that as he's listening to the tapes, he's emptied his flask and he needs more and he yells for Mildred. To, hey, bring me, bring me the expensive stuff. As this, you know, I don't want to say crisis because that means completely different with the <laughs> totality. As this thing is going on with two sets of the totality. Do, do you know? Uh, do you know? It's so funny about the setup that each of these starts mm-hmm. with Bones listening to a tape and that like sets yep. into the stories. Is I kind of, I kind of, it gave me this weird like he's kind of like a crypt keeper, uh, but mm-hmm. but then you have the whole shadowy government kind of vibe to it as well, and I'm yeah. like. You know what? I'll take an anthology version of this where it's just Bones like sort of like saying, oh, these are all the secret files from all the cases of the multiverse right. and just like tell different mm-hmm. stories. Yeah. He's very entertaining too. I'll do his, it. His commentary on these. But yeah, so so this you have the, the totality who's Martian Manhunter, Talia, Mr. Terrific, Hot Girl. And Lex. Um, Lex and Vandal Savage. Yeah, uh, but, yeah. And, basically, they do an experiment, and they, mm-hmm. and them, and also the totality of the same batch of characters from Earth twenty three, yeah. run, run into each other, a fight breaks out, uh, and it's kind of about the the genre of Earth twenty three, mm-hmm. 
wanting to see if the if our Jean can actually trust his team. So he pretends to be their Jean in the mm-hmm. the psychic like meeting room, and mm-hmm. tries to like can, you know say as an imposter here, one of you have been like overtaken right. by the Earth twenty three version, and ultimately they one by one kind of rule each other out and then say it has to be Jean, it has to be him. Uh, right. And this this proves to him that oh, even though you're a bunch of different characters and some of you are villains, you all immediately went to work together. So therefore, mm-hmm. cool. You're trustworthy. Yeah. I my favorite part in this was Lex going, "I'm here to prove that Mister Terrific's not smarter than me," <laughs> and the fact that 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 rung the bell for Martian Manhunter, right? I was like, okay, yep, that checks out. That's really Lex. Um, I just love Petty Lex. Oh sure, I uh, I have I have no complaint. I mean, I I like this. I I thought it was a little bit like almost like too much to stuff in because I I got yeah. a little bit uh, confused a little early on with the the multiple versions, and then mm-hmm. the first time they went into the uh like the mind mm-hmm. meeting room. Well, you had to remember that from from Snyder's Justice League that that was their their thing, right? That Martian Manhunter would bring them all in, uh, there. But yeah, I also love that. The, I want more of why Vandal Savage of Earth-23 and Calvin Ellis hate each other so much. Because I yeah. did like that little thing, too. Yeah, because he shows up, and they uh-huh. all, like, the, the Martian Manhunters, like, make everyone invisible uh, to him. Mm-hmm. But he has, says that he can still smell them. <laughs> no. Yeah. That you can't hide certain things, even from him. So, yeah. Yeah. But no. Yeah, it was good, but you're right. It was wordy. I know. Well, it's Lex, uh, Lex wears the same cologne in both worlds. Mm-hmm. It was also one of the, the lines. Yep. Yeah, no, it was enjoyable. Uh, do you know what I think it is? I think this one would have been perfectly fine had it been uh, a regular 20-page comic. I, yeah. I, I think it being, you know, shrunken into the 12 or 13 pages was maybe just a little bit too packed. Yeah. yeah. But uh, certainly not bad. And then the fifth story, which is the Boomerang Bones, where Boomerang, because of what happened to him in Death Metal, where he became kind of this, this monster, um he still has that in him and bones realizes that he still has a stark energy in him so he mm-hmm. traps him triggers this uh boomerang's not happy about being you know taken in or anything obviously and yep. i think my favorite part of all this is one mm-hmm. bones running, running away scared and shouting for mildred's really funny but yeah i love that boomerang and like his hulk form rips uh-huh. off like a bone okay. sticking out and tries to use it as a boomerang that i is... love that Wonderful. And then Bones goes, Mildred, he's throwing his bones at me. <laughs> I That made me laugh so hard. Uh, and this is where I'm with Stephanie Phillips. I would love to read more of her work. You sure. know, but right now she's doing Harley with Riley Rosmo art. And I'm just, I can't of course, yeah. do it. But you're talking about that the Bones uh, anthology. I feel like uh, her voice for Bones really is great here. Um, but yeah, uh, and just that whole dark energy and, and Boomerang not remembering that he died. And so Bones asking him these questions, like, I don't know what you're going on with, man. But, uh, yeah, not me, not this Boomerang, which I also love that famously up until rebirth, he was, you know, he was dead, right? Killed in, in identity crisis. So there's some, you know, double stuff going on here. Yeah, and the story ends with uh, him trapping Boomerang in a big sort of trapped electrical mm-hmm. shock room so that he can take him yep. down. So they have they have Boomerang held captive, 
And the tape that we're hearing throughout this notably is talking about Bones. And it is still Bones listening to it at the end. So the idea is that Chase has made a tape about Bones. Uh, yeah. And he's like, I need a drink. <laughs> and how, yeah. And how weird... And how weird Bones is because he's never, like... Even though he was a bad guy, right? He's always kind of been on the side of, of order. And that it, his motivations were different because of such the weird being that he is. So, which again, I like that perspective on bones, mm -hmm. you know, that he's perfect. He's perfect to be a bureaucrat because he plays his own side. Yeah. So yeah, so I'm not enjoying it. I, I, it definitely feels like, I, I, it definitely feels like it picks up. I think three, five and six are the ones that really stuck out to me as, yeah. as being really worth reading. And then the other ones are, are fine. Uh, yeah. To varying degrees. I was, but, I was shocked how much I enjoyed issue five. That yeah. was for sure. Um, uh, it's just one of those things where you have to get through just a couple of okay first parts, and then you kind of get into some of the, some of the more meaty stuff. Yeah, when when I messaged you to start, and you said you were you were finishing these, and you told me which one you were on. Uh, had you not been on six, I would have said make sure you read five because I really think you dig that one. Yeah, no, I was on the last one anyway. I was. Uh, yeah. Yeah. Admittedly, I was running a little bit late, so I didn't get a time we would yeah. do a Patreon book, which means you're going to get two of those next week, so uh, <laughs> look forward to that. Uh, but, yeah, so the last one, of course, is Bones. He's looking at a photo of a psycho pirate, and he's like, oh, I hate this guy. <laughs> <laughs> right? And he, he tries to play the tape, and it's just, like, screaming, right? Yeah. And it, just, and it cuts to a way, so instead of getting, like, a, a tape playing, like, it's still mm -hmm. bookends, like, Bones trying to listen to this tape bookends the story, but when we come back to him later, he just sort of like takes the headphones off because it just sounds horrible. Mm -hmm. And, you know, he's like, oh, okay, I need to go and bring in Chase, which actually leads us into the scene that he had with her in the right. show one. So that's kind of neat. But the story is about uh, this character who's looking for, uh, you know, what well, turns out to be Psycho Pirate. Uh, right. And uh, the Lonely Man is what he keeps referring to him as the narration. And Psycho Pirate's got his mask on the table, he finds him in this building, and he puts the mask on this guy. And the idea is, is that Psycho Pirate's going to test them with three questions. And if he gets them right, he'll be allowed to, I don't know, ascend and be with them or Yeah, so he'll whatever. share the power of the Medusa mask, yes. which is why he's the lonely man, because no one has ever been able to pass the three-question test. Uh, hence, hence why he's the lonely man. And this guy makes a push... You know, and he tries this is best. definitely the most philosophical uh, comic issue I've read in a while. It was reminding me of <laughs> when you talk about Animal Man, sure. in this whole meta context of gods and creatures and creators and whatnot. I was getting that vibe because it's almost being told in like the, the first person from Psycho Pirate as you're reading the book. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like, um, but yeah, but the guy comes close because one of, you know, it's like, uh, one of the questions. Um, question. Oh, I've got them in front of me. Question, question yeah. one is, uh, what what can we know? And the guy's answer is basically, yeah. well, we can only know what our senses are willing to let us know. As right. is ultimately the answer. Uh, mm -hmm. And he's like, okay, good answer. All right, all right, that's not bad. Second question is, uh, you know, what is real? Uh, is right. the second question. And then the guy says, well, our emotions are real. Like, the sources of the emotions can be fake, they can be fabricated, but the emotions themselves, right. if we're bored, we're just bored. There's we no are bored. Yeah. Right. For uh, furious, we're furious. Yeah. You know, he's like, all right, raged. okay, not bad. All right, you got two out of three. Mm -hmm. uh, so that's all right. But then the third question, 
if I just find it here, is mm-hmm. a who are you? And he tries to, he says, I'm only a man. I'm a fry cook. I'm this, I'm that. Uh, and basically, this is the one that isn't like the answer to. Uh, yeah. he, he says, oh, you're just a, you know, a, a poser. Uh, so it's all posture. You don't really know what you're talking about. Uh, and Psycho Pirate basically lets the mask kill him. And it's a great page, actually, because, yep. you know, all, all of these pages with this guy have all been just against the, you know, just, a, just a table mm-hmm. and two chairs and a completely dark black room. Yeah. And then this final page where the guy dies, the background goes away, it's all white, and we just see, like, the mask has this sort of, like, scared expression on it, and then the guy just yeah. kills over and dies. But it's, it's, it's like, all instead of being in panels, because up until now, it's all been very rigid, mm-hmm. six-square yep. panels. Whereas you get to this page... And it's all overlapping, and the guy's falling over. Everything's like a Dutch angle. Yeah. It's it feels like just complete chaos, and like like mm-hmm. his, his head spinning kind of thing. Uh, yeah. So that was really good there. What I'm saying, I guess. Right. Yeah, the and there's there's talk of the psycho pirate has has always survived. He's almost outside of the multiverse. That he's a almost a unique being. Is that it's only him that's there. Yes, but that's um, when the narration starts to come back mm-hmm. in, and Psycho Pirate hears it, and he says, mm-hmm. "Like, who is that? Who is speaking?" And he's so it's, he's still in the plain white. He's picking up the mask, and he's saying, "Who is that? Mm-hmm. Who, who's who's somehow made it to the other side of everything? Who else could be here?" And the narration says, "You really think you are outside of everything? That there is nothing beyond in your enlightened perspective?" And as he's that that last panel at the bottom of that page, like there's sort of a uh, there's just the edges of the white panels because the white background yep. still, but just the edges of like the blacks coming in as if you know the camera's pulling mm-hmm. back. Mm-hmm. And then the next page is he's in a white circle with black around it. Then the middle page, you get that that's a a, a period or a full stop at the end of a sentence, mm-hmm. and you get the last letter. And then the panel at the bottom of that page is just the, the text that says "Dark Side is," which. This is the first time that this has properly been used, I think, since uh, Mr. Miracle. Like, in terms of, like, yeah. a, a mainstream continuity comic that's used it as a big... Mm-hmm. Like, I think this may have been, like, a joke that's referred to or something. It's been yeah. like a throwaway line. But this is the first time it's been used as a dramatic beat for Darkseid in a main DC comic since Mr. Miracle. I well, think. And once, once, the, uh, once the dialogue or the, the narration boxes started getting that more wild kind of lettering... Mm-hmm. I could kind of feel it. Now, granted, we kind of know what's going on with Darkseid because we'd read Infinite Frontier 1. But when you got to that and it all came together with the Darkseid is, you're like, oh, man, I got got. They got me good on this one. Yeah, this is the one that feels important. This is the one, if Mm -hmm. if nothing else feels important in this this batch of six stories, this is the one that feels the most pertinent. Uh, Like, I feel like if they don't collect all of these, right? I mean, they already did in the sixth issue. That's what I picked them up on. Um, this one definitely will be in the trade for Infinite Frontier. You know, most of them probably will be, all of them, but let's say weird ha- happenstance, this one is definitely it, almost like Infinite Frontier It probably will, five. None of them will probably be in the first trade, but when they do a more, like, complete edition, yeah. uh, that's when they'll probably throw them all in. Sure. Maybe an omnibus or whatever, I don't know. Uh, mm-hmm. So... And your know, dark side says he's on Earth Omega, and of course that's where dark. Obviously, this new Omega planet is the one that he's right. on. <laughs> of course, it is. Uh, right. says, at the end of all things, there is a spirit. Blah blah. At the end of all things, there is dark side. 
so you make you so you will you join me will you would you want me to remake you so that you may not be alone and of course we saw psycho pirate with a completely new look so when he right. says yes he was of course he said yes because we already saw him looking different Mm-hmm. And he says, then it is done. And then it comes back to Bones and he takes off the headphones and he's like, okay, I'm going to go get Chase. So this last story sets up Psycho Pirate and it sets mm-hmm. up, to an extent, the Bones going to meet Chase. Uh, so. And again, uh, the voice for, you know, that Dan Waters uses here for him, he goes, oh, how I hate you, Psycho Pirate. So very, very much. Like, <laughs> it's just a, a good little tag. Um, yeah. Because I like the idea that uh, yeah. he, he tried to play this tape and all he got was unfiltered emotions off of wherever yeah. it came from. Yeah. So so here's a theory. If this is the first time we've seen Darkseid is, right? And that since Mr. Miracle. And we know how that ended with, with the death of Darkseid via Veggie Tray. What if this Darkseid is that Darkseid from Mr. Miracle? Huh? That sounds very fan fictiony to me. Uh, I don't know. That sounds a little hokey. Let's uh, we'll see where it goes. I, I'm not going to say like I think it could work. I have to pull it off in the right way, but I will say that uh, upon hearing that, it sounds a bit hokey, and I hope you're wrong. Well, <laughs> well, we'll see. I mean, you always hope I'm wrong. You know, that's not but... true. Yeah. I also hope Connor's wrong. There's so, a difference. Well, that's you know, but yeah. So well, no, this this was a very good issue. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. The last story was really good. I think the Jade and Obsidian one was really good too, and I think the uh, the Boomerang one was a lot of fun uh, with with Bones. <laughs> but yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, it's I'd say it's not essential, but a couple of them are really good, and the last one feels definitely very close to being a nice little lead-in to the, the first issue. So, I would say it's a nice companion if you want to get a bit more uh, of Infinite Frontier right now. Mm-hmm. But that's, that's pretty much it. Uh, we practically skipped over the Roy story because there wasn't really much to say about it. He's in yeah, a bar he, fight. He, yeah, he's in a bar he, fight and uh, the, the lady helps him out but reminds him of someone that he once knew. Uh, and it's it's assumed that he means uh, Cheshire, so but mm-hmm. but yeah, he he gets mad and he gets into bar fights. So it's not to love about Roy Harper. Uh, I mean that's not why I like it, but Roy Harper. That's, that's your <laughs> mentality. So that's why you like Gay Gardner. Uh, uh-huh. it's that warped way of thinking about. It. Okay, what are you rating Infinite Frontier Secret Files issue one? Uh, I'm I'm gonna give us a seven point five. But like you said, you know, four and five and even three are, are doing a lot of the heavy lifting there. Uh not six. I think that's what I meant. I meant uh five <laughs> three three, five, and six. Okay. <laughs> yes. Uh yeah. No, I'll give it a seven. I I think it's uh, an enjoyable enough for I think in a week five especially, it was a there's a fine thing to to sort of fill out the, the week with. But um, a couple of nice things in there, you know. It's a weird week to talk about because it's not, a, you know, a lot of big things. Catwoman obviously is the one main like ongoing thing that's going on. That's what makes it ongoing because it's going on. English, <laughs> I use it well. Gotcha. Thank you. All right, uh, that takes out the part of the show where we pick our favorite stuff of the week. So favorite panel slash moment, favorite cover, favorite art, uh, and I guess we'll rank the three books that we read. So yeah. <clears throat> uh. Yeah, favorite panel slash moment. 
Oof. Um, I don't know if there's a ton to choose from, but I'll go from Green Arrow, mm-hmm. and it's at um from from the uh, Ayala story with with Dinah, uh, where she does the scream, and you have the sure. concentric circles, all different parts of the fight, um, done by Laura Braga. Uh, yeah, that's that's pretty good moment. Yeah, uh, I have to go with Dark Siders. Like I, I got a nice little oh, chill course. when it revealed the uh, the Dark Siders text. Um, yeah, uh, I, I can't, I can't fault it. Uh, best cover, Matt. We got. I'm going with the Green Arrow uh, variant. I think it's the '80s variant by Gary Frank. It is fantastic looking. Gary Frank variant. What a shock. Uh, I'm right. actually, I'll surprise you a little bit, but mainly because I didn't look through all the covers for Green Arrow, so I don't really <laughs> know which ones those I like. Uh, so I'm going to go with the variant for Catwoman, which is a, mm. a very moody, painted... Uh, it's got Catwoman and behind her, uh, yeah. Father Valley. So it's a really nice uh, thing. I, 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 particularly, I particularly like the... Uh, no, actually, I'm sharp. Uh, is the, uh, it's, it's sharp? Yeah, yeah it's sharpie. Variant. Uh, but I particularly like the there's this sort of like effect on the eyes where there's like a streak of light coming from them, yeah. which looks really nice. Uh, I really like that. So I'm going to go with that one. Um, what is your oh best art's a bit weird here because everything had tons of artists. Yeah, do do we pick a story or do yeah? We do you pick know what? A... I think for for a one week thing because two of them were anthology yeah. style, I will say let's yeah. just pick one story as your art of the week. Gotcha. Um. Even though I had a trouble with the with the coloring, I could not not pick Nicola Scott's uh, and Tom Taylor's Wildcat uh, Green Arrow story. That, that's sure. really yeah. good. Uh, shouts shouts to Stephen Byrne for Jade Obsidian, uh, Laura Braga for Green Arrow, um, and then of course Sorrentino and 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 Schmidt. But you know, think Nicola Scott just edges them out. Yeah, this is a. Uh... I actually think I'm going to go with Sorrentino on this. Uh, I think just in terms of blow away art, that was the one that kind of kind of struck me. Uh, even though I I'm not as attached to the run that you know the, the, yeah. that pair comes from, there's no denying that Sorrentino art was fantastic. So uh, yeah. that's my uh, that's my pick. Okay, I guess. There you go. All right. Do you know what? This is such a weird week, right? Because I feel like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I mean, depending on how you do it, I mean, either you're going to be saying Green Arrow, Catwoman, and Infinite Frontier, or you're going to say Catwoman, yeah. Green Arrow, Infinite Frontier, right? That's basically the order. Uh, which way around is it, just for, just so the audience knows? Oh, yeah, it's Green Arrow, Catwoman, Infinite Frontier. Right. I'd probably flip it. I'd probably put Catwoman first. Yeah. But, but just, just to make this a little bit more interesting, since yeah. it's a weird week, um, I'm going to say rank the top three Green Arrow stories from the, okay. the anthology okay. book. So instead of doing a normal top five, since it's, it's a weird okay. concoction. So. Um, so so for my first one for Green Arrow, I'll go with the Devin Grayson story, because that was really good. Uh, and then I'll go with the the Tom Taylor, Nicola Scott one. And then the third one, I'll do Ben Percy and Otter Schmidt. Okay, okay. Uh, certainly not bad choices. Uh, I'm going with Devin Grissom first as well. I think that was the mm-hmm. standout. Uh, I think I have to go tap, tap, tap for second. Uh, oh, 
God damn it. That's also the art would have been George Fornis. I spaced on that one. <laughs> I, it made me so emotional. I, I walled it away like I do everything else. And uh, that, that's a good choice, though, too. Healthy. Healthy, Matt. Healthy. <laughs> yeah, I took I'm in therapy. <laughs> uh, <laughs> uh, so that's number two. And then number three would be... Oh. Yeah, probably a Tom Taylor one at number three, I would say. Yeah. Yeah, Tom Taylor at number three, the punching evil. Uh, just as sort of being my favorite sort of fun one. But, uh, yeah. Yeah, yeah okay, there you go. <laughs> and that well, let's, is let's, do the, let's do top three Infinite Frontier. What order are you putting them in? Oh, okay, sure. Uh, yeah. I'll go Psycho Pirate. Is number uh -huh. one. Number two is Jade and Obsidian. Number three is uh, issue five with Bones and Boomerang. Gotcha. Yeah, I'll, I'll go issue five with Bones and Boomerang, and then Psycho Pirate, and then Jade and Obsidian. All right. <laughs> what, what if I went rogue and said Roy number one? I secretly loved it. I would say, why are you lying to yourself, sure. Matt? What are you doing? What's wrong with you? Shoot. Well, hey, what's up next week? That's what I was just getting to, the first uh, comic week of, of Giant. Now, I'm hoping it's not a huge week, because <laughs> I'm now backed up on Patreon books, but we'll find out. So, coming out in this coming week, we have Batman 110, we have Justice League 64, we have Nice House in the Lake issue 2, I'm looking forward to that. Swamp Thing issue 5, I'm looking forward to that. Wonder Girl issue 2, I'm looking forward to that. This is, this is going bad. Uh, Green Arrow, oh, sorry, Green Lantern, that's Green Arrow's on the brain. Green Lantern issue yep. 4 is out, uh, Suicide Squad issue 5, Batman Fortnite Zero Point issue 6 is out, Crime Syndicate issue 5, the next Batman Second Son issue 4, so that's the last of those physical reprints of that, mm -hmm. um, Batman The Avenger Continues season 2, Sensational Wonder Woman issue 5, Crushing Lobo issue 2, Justice League Infinity issue 1, which is uh, GM Demetri's uh, miniseries, so yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we got... Batman Secret Files, the Signal issue one. So that's the first of those uh, one-shots that are going to be coming out monthly. Uh, although I think there's two in the first month, but it's mostly going to be a monthly thing where like a bat character mm -hmm. gets a gets a spotlight yeah, issue. Spotlight. Yeah. Uh, which is cool, because it's all the characters that don't have books. <laughs> so, you know, mm -hmm. rock on. And then The Conjuring, The Lover issue two is also out. Uh, so it's a pretty exciting week, honestly. I mean, more of Tynan's Batman, more Nice House in the Lake, more Swamp Thing, more Wonder Girl. Uh, more Green Lantern. It's a pretty nifty week, all things mm -hmm. considered. So, uh, cool. Uh, what are you looking forward to most next week, Matt? Um, probably Swamp Thing because that books have been real, real good. But Wonder Girls a, a close second. It's tough because I feel like there's like four things, four or five things yeah. next week that are all kind of a high in my can't wait to read mm -hmm. status. Um. Tell you, tell you what I'm not reading, and that's The Conjuring. Um, oh, yeah, I'm me done, neither. <laughs> yeah, definitely. That. Yeah, so. yeah. That, that was a surefire drop, that one. So, yep. That's cool. All right, that's what's coming next week. Um, I will take this time to thank our Patreon producers uh, of Tyler Hess, Cindy Palacios, David Sharp, Bordnow, Al Treisman, Christopher Moy, David Brown, and Stanley. Not Stanley. Stanley. Stanley uh, Excelsior. <clears throat> Uh, you can, of course, go and support us on patreon.com slash TV for as little as $1 per month and get a bunch of bonuses for your trouble. Obviously, the producers are one of the higher tiers, but you can at the $5 tier 
uh, get access to the show a day early. So uh, go and have a look and see if you're interested in helping keep all the content coming. And you can, of course, if you're on YouTube, like, subscribe, comment down below. It's always nice to see comments and to have people talk about the books they're enjoying and their thoughts on this week's books. Uh, not that there was a big list this week, admittedly, but uh, mm-hmm. please do. Uh, get us on Twitter at DC Comics Podcast, and that's about all the things I have to tell you about, I think. So, yeah. Uh, so it was a interesting, weird week of two really long books and an annual, but I am looking forward to the regular chapters because mm-hmm. uh, DC are actually putting out a lot of good stuff right now, and... Uh, a lot of us out next week, so we'll, we'll, we'll yeah, see true. that then. Yeah. Uh, but that's about it. So for the first time in a while, we're not much over two hours for this one. So yeah, thank you. Removing removing some talk of of dynamite. I'm sure we'll be below it. That's a good point. Yeah, we spoke for like twenty minutes yeah. about dynamite that I'm probably going to cut out and put <laughs> on Patreon. So yeah, this is probably a sub two hour episode. Which is, I mean, I guess it makes sense yeah. given the week. But yeah, yeah. We'll make up for it next week, I'm sure. Oh, yeah, I'm sure. Especially if Connor's back. Because, you know, that guy. Oh, yeah. I never shuts up, I know. <laughs> but thank you once again for joining us for Cons of the Multiverse, episode 260. And we will be back next week with 261. So keep reading DC Comics. And remember to never get lost in the Speed Force. And punch crime, even with the boxing glove arrow. 